0: was all live welcome to we
1: bought a mic a pop culture podcast i am ernest calderon i am hunter mobley and uh we're missing our um our Drubles today and we don't know if uh he's ever gonna come back yeah. you could say we're we're podcast widows we <laughs> you could say that <laughs> And we are talking uh, Steve McQueen's um twelve years of slave today. Just a couple
0: of years too late. It's uh fifteen years a slave.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we uh we might get to his newest film, Widows. Um we just it's hard to get through these times without Drew. You know, it's 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 not it's not Yeah, easy.
0: and on that note, um we'll start this episode with a little bit of a sad note. The man, the legend
1: stanley has passed and you know i i would like to come on here and say that i was prepared for this because he was 95 but i wasn't you know it, it we can't pretend like we knew the guy but he became kind of like the characters that he created like he became this larger than
0: life figure
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know i think that One thing just makes me, like, so happy for him in his life is that he's gotten to see this Marvel boom and be alive for it all. Because, I mean, when you think about when he got started making comics, like, this was a very niche thing. Like, this was just a thing for nerds. It wasn't like... um, Stan Lee wasn't just, like, a known commodity until, like, the last 10, 20 years or so. So the fact that at least he was alive to see how big his story and his universe have gotten i think that that is really awesome
1: yeah i mean marvel uh with the mcu has completely taken over hollywood and and pop culture it's it's a phenomenon unlike anything else that the industry has had and it's because of him like he you know he created these characters with uh jack kirby and all these other collaborators that worked at marvel in the the 60s and 70s but it was it was because it it was stan lee who kind of masterminded this whole idea of having this world this like expansive world of superheroes um that would run into each other and cross over into each other's stories and now like everyone in hollywood wants to replicate that and yeah. it's just not quite the same as what it is at marvel
0: yeah like he just he was so much of a visionary and idealist that the fact that he was able to juggle all these kind of grand ideas and make them all work together in the same universe something that we're not going to see anymore i mean i <laughs> What is your going to be your reaction whenever you see his next cameo in uh, Avengers, or I guess in Captain Marvel? Captain dude, Marvel, first one. yeah. I mean,
1: I think he they were probably trying to get as many cameos of his shot because of his his age and, and also so his. We, health, we don't know how many he has.
0: I know his health was deteriorating. I mean they uh, they talked about. I mean, because his wife just died this past year as well. So it's he's only. I think his wife died in. It was over the summer, so it was pretty recently. Yeah. Um. So it was kind of known that he was getting up there in age; his health was deteriorating. So I hope that they got a few of them. I really hope that we don't ever get a CGI Stanley cameo. Oh no. <laughs> I feel like that's honestly like something that Marvel is considering doing. They're like, well, we got to keep it going. So uh, Black Panther Five is going to have just CGI.
1: <laughs> Do You have a, a favorite cameo? It doesn't have to be MCU because he he's popped up in like the Raimi movies. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, I uh, I honestly loved his cameo in Spider Man for the PS4, the video game. He's yeah. just like just in the, the restaurant. Yeah, in the restaurant, he's just like a pizza store owner. Yeah. <laughs> just like, hey, you kids gonna order something <laughs> or what?
1: I I think um, there might be a better one that I'm not thinking of right now, but I love his cameo in um, uh, Age of Ultron, where he's like this war veteran. And oh God, at the party yes. on Avengers <laughs> Tower, and he like drinks Thor's like
0: God liquor <laughs> and he has to get carried out, and he's like,
1: Excelsior. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a really good one. Um, one that like popped in my head, especially now that he's dead now that he's passed on, is um at the I believe it's in Guardians 2 where he's with the uh watchers.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. The scene where like Rocket and Yondu are like flashing yeah. through the multiverse like, or whatever <laughs> and now
0: when you think about like now he is in a way like he is the watcher of yeah. everything like he is kind of observing the universe beyond. like he's yeah he's beyond he's outside of these stories now being told he's just one of them and then just like the very end the post credit scene that you have there he's just like i still have so many more stories to tell and everything else oh like that it's just it's God. so it's so heartbreaking oof That that yeah. Um, I am a little bit of a gambling man, as uh, frequent listeners know. So currently, the odds on of me crying at the (laughs) next uh, next thing are like ten million to one. Saying that yes, I
2: will cry.
1: It is interesting that um we will get Captain Marvel before Avengers because I I feel like you know it is customary to have the very next movie to be the one that they dedicate to him. You know, you can't have Captain Marvel just ignore right his passing but like avengers i think that is, they'll both
0: be dedicated to yeah. him and then Maybe i mean and then spider them.
1: spider-man far from home too like he created spider-man so it's like next year all three movies are go- are hopefully going to be this heartfelt send-off to to stan in some some way yeah you know, i'm sure they're going to find some really touching way to kind of pay homage to
0: the yeah, man who so. started it all i hope that they don't just throw it away on captain marvel because i have a feeling that captain marvel is going to be the movie that people are like okay yeah that was fun but can we get back to like the avengers storyline yeah. <laughs> like uh... but i mean again, that's what people were saying about black panther this year before black panther because they were like oh, i'm just ready for avengers 3 like we yeah. just need to get this or ant-man and the Wasp. i don't know who said that but <laughs> <laughs> all right except for paul um, rudd's family maybe so
1: this, when when did Stan Lee die? On, on Monday? Mm-hmm. I think it happened on Monday. Monday was insane for news. And it started out with the Toy Story 4 trailer.
0: A uh, teaser.
1: Teaser, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. And we actually, we pretty much, we got two teasers. One at the beginning of the day and one at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. The first one is just the gang just happily going around in this beautiful circle of friendship. And there's one crazy wacky character played by tony hale who just doesn't belong uh and he's like a spork with uh like pipe cleaners and
0: and uh it's like something that just a child would make yeah
1: so there are theories that the plot of toy story 4 is going to explore like what is sentience for toys so it could get really existential like you just you put some scrap like and now this thing together. comes to life yeah
0: that's that's a cool idea yeah. i i'm actually i'm into that idea more so than it just being like them just trying to like recreate a toy story right movie.
1: and then the second teaser is basically the liam neeson sketch from key and peel but with <sighs> carnival toys it's literally key and peel as carnival toys like doing the the liam neeson's yeah. bit but it's like buzz lightyear and then woody and buzz walk up so we got these two you know, very basic teasers that are not a representation of what the movie is really going to be about or anything. Um, but quick take before we move on to the next thing. I know that we're both like big Toy Story fans. So I don't know. I think the story ended perfectly with Toy Story 3. So I'm going in this with a big caveat. I trust Pixar. I don't think they make bad movies. They've made, well, on Cars 2 and 3 maybe. I, I actually never saw Cars 3, so I can't really speak. But for the most part, their track record is pretty fucking amazing. So
0: I don't think it's going to be bad. I just think that, you know, why
2: keep I, it going? Yeah, like, I mean,
0: I, I do have those same reservations just because I agree. Toy Story 3, like, that ended in such a beautiful note um, that it's hard to imagine them going back to it. But... One thing that does give me confidence is you can tell... I mean, this is the franchise that started Pixar. Like, this was the first Pixar movie. Yeah, 95? Was the original, 95, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, while they've made kind of lackluster or just kind of uh, mediocre, at best, sequels to other Pixar movies, like I'm thinking of Finding Dory, even Monsters... I never saw that. Even Monsters U, which is... Never it's saw fun. Either. It's fun, but it's not like... It's by no mean, like, me reaches the Pixar gold so standard that they So this could be set. kind of on that same level? I think that's going to be better because I think that they care more about the Toy Story franchise, that they don't want to just release just another kind of okay at best movie. Like I, th- I think it's kind of the same thing where they uh, were willing, the reason why these don't come out like at regular intervals, it's almost like with Incredibles where when they know that this is such a beloved franchise and it's not just necessarily like a cute fun family story they're willing to take it more seriously and kind of put more thought and work into it uh to kind of create the best product possible
1: so i'm i'm fact checking myself because i was about to say something that i think might be inaccurate but i had read somewhere when it was first announced that they were making a uh, toy story four that mike Schur and rashida jones were working on the story on the script but now i'm researching it and it doesn't look like that's still the case um, i remember that
0: being a rumor like whenever it started up but that was uh, a couple years ago yeah it point. doesn't
1: it doesn't look like that that's the case we're we're getting john lasseter and andrew Stanton and and lee um Uncrick and peter doctor back so it pretty much the, the
0: whole toy story cast yeah and, and people really. who
1: are just kind of under the uh the pixar umbrella um so uh, we'll see I think um I think the the next thing is really what overshadowed that day of uh, of news which is Detective Pikachu. So Toy Story trailer drops and then the entire internet just completely forgets about it with this fucking Detective Pikachu trailer that is still making the rounds online and yeah. is just completely taken over everyone's hopes and dreams and imagination. So I will say it's a fucking great trailer. I don't think the movie's going to be very good, though. Okay. I don't think the movie's going to live up to how good this trailer is. Like I, The hype is, is too much.
0: I have high hopes for this. Uh, and then, well, I just had hopes for it before, but then seeing the trailer, it seems like they kind of, they struck the right tone with it, because I was kind of worried at first um, a still came out before anything else, and it kind of, I was worried that no I mean, because overall I liked the way that looked, but it had a little bit of, like, Christopher Robin-esque-ness to it, where they just, like, try and make them, like, it looked Too like desaturated sat- well, like de- teddy bears right. more so than, like, actual living things, but the textures and everything, like, this trailer is fucking awesome and it seems like they nailed it down to what like this world of Pokemon would actually look like that's the best part is
1: these throwaway shots of like a herd of Bulbasaur's or a Psyduck in the background or the the bit with Mr. Mine or Charizard (laughs) it's like damn like we're really going to get a live action movie just in the world of Pokemon it's like it's not just a Pikachu movie yeah this is a Pokemon movie with all our favorite you know, first generation Pokemon.
0: Well, not just first, I mean, they also like blend it with a bunch of other. I mean, Greninja's in there. I did see Greninja. There's, yeah, you're right. there's a few like newer Pokemon there also in there. I feel like it's probably going to spend the majority of the time with first gen because that's mass appeal to both kids and adults yeah. that also remember it because I mean, we grew up playing like the original right. Pokemon games. So they want to kind of hit different kind of scopes of audiences with this. Um, yeah, no, I think that this trailer is... It's one of my favorite trailers of the year. I've probably watched this trailer like three or four times now at this it's point. Fucking it's fucking good. It's a great trailer. E- except for Ryan Reynolds' voice. You don't like his voice? It's Deadpool. It's Deadpool. Deadpool.
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> Pool. It's, it's, PG, it's PG Deadpool. Like, i I really... You know, a lot of people are saying that Danny DeVito would be the correct choice. That's that's an R-rated Pokemon movie, though. You know, if you wanted, <laughs> I would to, love
0: to see that. I would out.
1: love to see that too. But I I don't know. I I can see why they felt the need to have Pikachu be a speaking character in the movie. I just don't think that that was the wisest you don't like the choice. Casting? I just don't think the Pikachu needed to be a speaking role. Well, I I I mean, I understand their thinking behind doing that I just I would have preferred for them to stick to the the, the the character of Pikachu not being able to speak.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, this is based off of a game in which uh Pikachu does like I think all the Pokemon speak, but they speak to each other. Like you are Detective Pikachu. Uh, and uh it's like them just oh. all having conversations with each other. I do like though that it's not just like he just speaks normally to everybody. That it's just this one guy is yeah. almost going crazy. Not ash. By the idea of like, let's it's black ash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to put on the cap at the end of the movie. He'll put on the cap and spin it backwards. (laughs) Um, No, I just, I'm really excited. Also, like, I love the textures of the Pokemon because I think that one thing that a lot of people are, a lot of people are kind of shitting on the look of the aesthetic that they gave them. But, like, Pikachu is a mouse-type Pokemon, so he would, therefore, have a little bit of hair on him. Like, there's all kinds of, like, different stuff like that where, yeah, if we're playing it on, like, a 2d on like game boy color or something like that then of course it's just going to be color you won't be able to see the textures that are on them right but i like for if they're going to make it live action it i'm curious as like how dark this movie is going to be because that was one thing that that i was thinking was for this part the trailer looks very dark it looks very like dimly lit the exception of a couple of outdoor scenes, but for the most part, it looks like they're in, like, a Blade Runner-type yeah, town. Yeah, neon and dark colors everywhere. Yeah.
1: Also, just the other aspect of it being dark, of them exploring this idea of, like, basically animal abuse, you know, forcing these critters that run around I hope that, in I hope the hope the that wild does dive into that. To, to battle each other, you know? Like, that... That's not a very kid-friendly topic, but it's the reality of what Pokemon is. Pokemon is in an alternate reality where, like, uh, for some reason, it's just completely okay to, like, go out and and trap animals. animals And then, like, like, train them them to fight with each other. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
0: which I mean, I think that that's why I really think that uh, the first Pokemon movie is genuinely a great movie because it, like, involves this... Truly oh, sentient Pokemon Mewtwo yeah. battling back and saying no, now we're gonna come and fight you together. Like, and that was just—it's something that as a kid you just watch it and you're like, oh yeah, the Pokemon—they're all fighting together. But then <laughs> as an adult, you watch it and you're like, wow, great this point. is yeah, this is actually like sending out a real message. And then, I mean, Pokemon 2000 deals with like a lot of like climate change kind of issues and stuff like that with, with the three legendary birds and yeah. the Lugia and all this kind of stuff and this world of turmoil that we are as humans are destroying. And like life for ourselves as well as our Pokemon and everything else. Like I, the movies have really done a great job of tackling of a, um weighing those two sides to make it both kid friendly and yeah. also have a important message. This, so I this, hope that this does the same.
1: Yeah, this definitely has the the opportunity to be more than just a brand cash grab. Like it, it doesn't just have to be that. It can be something greater. I I think it might be that. Uh. You know, they might just be trying to get in on the whole Cinematic Universe bandwagon and start a Pokemon yeah. Cinematic Universe. I don't know
0: if there's been any other confirmed, but I can guarantee that this is not going to be the only Pokemon live action movie that we see. Um,
1: So it might be a little bit too early, but looking at Summer Movie Wager 2019, we're talking uh, Toy Story 4, Detective Pikachu, and Avengers 4. And Spider-Man. And Spider-Man Far From Home. What do you think that top five might look like based on what you know these first looks that we've seen
0: um i oh god that's it's tough i think that avengers is gonna have the most because also they're gonna be able to bill it as robert Downey jr and chris evans last hurrah Mm -hmm. so i think that that will probably be up there but then again it's toy story toy story movies make so much fucking money and, I mean, look at how much money Incredibles 2 made this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Incredibles 2 made so much money. It was yeah. the highest-grossing Pixar film ever. So like Highest-grossing they were
1: writing... animated movie. Or highest-grossing
0: animated movie. That's what I meant. Um, but, yeah, so it's like they're on a pretty big hot streak right now. It's... It's going to be tough. I really I can't wait for them to like actually cuz one thing I like doing is comparing the weekends when they come out like if there's a big movie but then there's another big movie the week after they can kind of eat into each other's box yeah. office where if Avengers like this year it comes out a month before anything else comes out then it has all that month of May to just like reek in racking yeah.
1: profits. It's um is Pokémon Warner
0: Brothers? Cuz I I know is it that- Warner Brothers or is it Universal? It's one of those two. I know it's not Fox. Yeah, because I know
1: Disney is like they—they're continually like eating into their own profits. You know, competing with their own movies,
0: which I mean doesn't really hurt them because summer is such a huge slice of the pie (laughs) that it's like that so many more people. It is Warner Brothers. Yeah,
1: it is Warner Brothers. With I guess uh, the Pokemon company is are they considered a production company? Yeah. The Pokemon oh. company is billed as one of the production companies. So it's it's a it's a three-way production between Legendary Pictures, Warner Brothers and Pokemon. Okay, interesting. Uh so yeah, that'll be next year. We'll get into that. Uh we have one last little bit of news before we get to what we've been watching and that is the almost re Surgeon slash saving of Filmstruck.
0: Yeah, well, it's not going to be Filmstruck because Warner Brothers is, despite like petitions and everything else, they're shutting that down. But um, I'm subscribed on Criterion emails and everything, and I got an awesome email yesterday that's saying that. Um, because the thing is with Filmstruck is it was actually it was amalgamation of a couple different things. It was most notably the Criterion Channel, but also Turner Classic Movies, and um, I think there was one or two other different things that they do. But basically, what they're doing is they're just going to make the Criterion Channel its own standalone service. So it won't have some of the things from Turner Classic Movies um, on there, but it will have the same things, all these classic uh, films that Criterion produces out there, as well as interviews and little shorts that they do with different filmmakers about some of their favorite pieces. Um, And they just announced this service. It's going to be coming spring 2019, And right now, uh, if you sign up to be a charter subscriber, you actually save a dollar per month. So, um, I actually, I have a, yeah, I have a link on my Twitter if you need to find the link or anything at hunt mobley on Twitter and sign up on there. Please support this. If you are, if you like film, it's an amazing service, and we're not being sponsored by them. I am actually paying the monthly fee. Yeah. I just I really love this service. I'm happy that it's not dying.
1: And they're they're having to build out their uh, a whole new site for this, right? A whole yep. new online platform. Yeah, so it's, it's not going to be cheap for I them. I think
0: that it is still going to be sponsored by Warner Brothers Media, but. Is it because Criterion Cr- Criterion is its own entity? Yes, they're it not
1: is. owned by like a larger. I uh, want to
0: make sure that I get this get this uh, straight on here before I uh, before I say that. But I am pretty sure that I saw that it's still being built under the umbrella of Warner Brothers Media. But I'm not sure why exactly they won't just bring back Filmstruck then, if that is the case. Yeah,
1: because I think what this is going to be is just the streaming rights of criterion content like only movies that are in the criterion collection that have streaming capabilities are going to be on there it's that i don't think it's going to be anything other than that
0: yeah it is it's through warner media's it's a new consumer platform that they're making okay which it's going to be i think it's because i mean if you start up with a charter price it's 9.99 a month which is the same price as filmstruck so Again, I don't really know why they're killing Filmstruck but then just bringing it back under a different name. If it's just a rebranding kind of yeah, thing, maybe weird. it was a thing about losing some of the rights to certain Turner properties. Well, I what this smells
1: like to me is it seems like with the streaming wars raging on, Warner is going to make their own streaming service. Like they they just launched DC Universe, mm-hmm. but I feel like they they have so much more content, especially like all of their old you know Looney Tunes cartoons and all that, and then like Harry Potter and uh, I don't know. I feel like they have other big
0: properties, but it, I think it's like Terminator and stuff like that. Is war-
2: no,
1: yeah, that's Universal. It, it seems like they probably want to launch their own service and they want it to be as broad and mass appealing as possible. And Filmstruck is just, that's just not the nature of it, sadly. it's These classic movies are not, it's all, it's always going to be a niche service. Yeah,
0: oh, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the thing with it. And maybe that's why they're just kind of rebranding it as the Criterion channel, because they know it's not going to get Netflix yeah, numbers or anything right. close to that. But if it can just make enough money to stay afloat. And the thing is with them that it's a lot cheaper for them to acquire a lot of these properties because they're older. They aren't battling for newer content or anything like that like the only exception to that really is like wes anderson movies and stuff like that that they get and even some terrence malick films that are newer yeah but other than that they're adapting and restoring movies from like the 1920s to the 1970s 80s at most
1: movies that would otherwise just would never be seen yeah
0: yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: Let's get to what we've been watching. So I've been watching a YouTuber named Mark Rebelette. Have you heard of this guy? No, I've never heard
2: of him before. Okay. I,
1: I wonder if Drew has if he ever uh, returns from the beyond. Um, this this is a little a little weird thing to to talk about because this is a guy that I found on Facebook and i I don't remember if someone shared his video or if it was like a sponsored video that went on my timeline, but this guy, his alternate name is loop Daddy, and he is an improvisational musician, so he has a YouTube channel and uh you know Facebook profile he's online, you know follow him on Instagram and Twitter and whatnot. but I found him on Facebook, and now I subscribe to his youtube channel but he makes these videos and the reason why like I have it under what I've been watching and not just what I've been listening to because he is also on Spotify. He he puts his improvised songs on Spotify, but the fun is in watching this guy because he like he's fucking crazy. Like he gets really, really into it and he films himself like making these songs on the spot and he's really fucking talented. Like I, I'm sure that there are certain uh rehearsal elements that go into it and i'm sure that he does have like certain loops and Mm -hmm. structures and and you know uh building blocks that he probably goes back to but for the most part he can come up with a song like completely off the cuff and he just gets so into it and he gets vulgar and he's funny and he like flails his body around and makes weird faces it's just a really unique Thing to see, to see like this internet personality just completely on his own, making all this music entirely on his own. Uh, and it's just so entertaining. Like, I took a deep dive into his YouTube channel and watched a whole bunch of like videos and live stream highlights and shit. And he is just so so entertaining to watch. And you know, it's improvisational music, so it's not always going to be great. Like, sometimes it, it doesn't quite gel, but he has some fucking bangers. Like, he has some good, good shit. And, again,
0: there's humor to it, and there's how, wit. Like, how does he, like, come up with these ideas, like, on the spot? Does somebody just, like, kind of shout Sometimes, out Sometimes, yeah. Or? I mean, I think
1: for the most part, he's just, like, freestyling shit. Okay. Because he can he can freestyle pretty well. Like, he can just think of, of, the, of things off the cuff. Uh, but there are videos where he is – half of the videos that I've seen are him alone, like in a room by himself. Mm-hmm. But sometimes he does perform in front of a crowd and he will ask the crowd to tell him like a topic to base a song off of. Um, And it's just so entertaining to see him build it. Like he'll start, um, he'll just have like a microphone and he'll have his little loop station and he'll just go in and, build a loop from a little riff that he has in his head and then he'll have a keyboard and add to that maybe some light percussion instruments like a shaker or a tambourine or something and he'll start layering it and he just makes it look so easy man like he from what i've seen he doesn't like stumble or or fumble at all and and he just builds these loops uh, these layers of, of these improvisational songs and he just makes it look easy it's that's, really impressive that's
0: incredibly i mean i tried that uh, Text, uh find this guy out there i was trying to figure out what the guy's name is but i was at a concert um it's probably been like eight years ago now i know it was in tallahassee but there was a artist there who uh it was just him up on stage and he created just these unbelievable sounds with, like, looping technology and everything. I mean, I know, like, Reggie Watts has oh, done a bunch right. of looping stuff. Like, yeah. he's probably one of the most notable people. I can't find this guy's name because I wanted to shout him out, too, but it's it's really is, like, a whole nother kind of an art form of just being able to kind of juggle these different sounds and then, like, uh being able to tell what what sounds uh would kind of escalate everything without, like, kind of tearing... It. It's, it's, like, really kind of like a painting and, mm-hmm. like, what... What proper uh, color or paintbrush do you want to put on top of this whole like painting that you are drawing? Yeah, but I think it's a level beyond
1: that because he is able not again, not always, but oftentimes he's able to create song structure yeah. on the fly and like think of like. The specific flow of the song and when to drop certain oh, things yeah, out, so much and, when to, and... and when to bring a song, uh, 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 an element of the song back in, and t- and to to be able to build out these verses and these choruses and these breakdowns, just completely improvisational. So this guy's Mark Rebillet, R E B I L L E T. I'll link it down in the show notes to his YouTube channel. Go ahead and check him out. Super interesting, unique, creative guy uh also known as loop daddy so yeah i i know he's touring i don't know if i'll ever uh if he'll ever make it to good old florida but maybe one day i'll, I'll get to see him but his his online content is just as entertaining i i got enough out of it uh just from seeing him online yeah so that's mark Revelit. um Next, let's get to Homecoming. Yeah, so um, on Amazon Prime,
0: I uh, I took your recommendation and I uh, started watching the show. I've only made it through the uh, first two episodes so far, but the show is really yeah, good. It's just there's something Did about you ever watch it. watch Robot? Has, I've watched the first season of Robot. Okay, Mister um, Robot. On I USA. really liked Mister Robot. I I don't really have a specific reason why I didn't keep up with it. It was more so about timing than anything else. Did but, you
1: finish that season? Because I I remember you saying that you didn't, because there's a a twist that happens that I I don't think you ever got to, but I would recommend revisiting it. Yeah,
0: but I mean, regardless, like, this movie has that S-male kind of flair to it in, like, a beautiful way, where it feels just, there's something that on the surface of it, of course, I mean, I don't really know where the story is going to go to, I'm sure it's going to escalate to all kinds of new places, but... There's something just very, like, uncanny about watching it. Like, you're watching it, it seems like it's a very straightforward story about this kind of uh, rehab facility for veterans coming back from war and everything. But there's just something really unnerving about it. Um, I was telling you, I just watched the second episode, and, you know, they're in Tampa, Florida, here, like, right down the road from us. And everything about it looks like Florida. It all seems like it's Florida. And there's this this guy who, like, gets up on top of the table and he's just like, what makes you think that we're actually in Florida? Because they told you that we're in Florida. And it just makes me kind of second guess, like, are they actually in Florida? Where the fuck yeah. are these guys? Like, between that and I love the whole aesthetic of this place, how it's, like, it looks like this huge rehab facility and it all takes place inside of, like, an office building. Like, there's other businesses that are in here yeah. and everything else like that. Like, it's really really cool julia roberts is just unbelievable she is she is one of the best actors alive yeah now that i've
1: i've finished the show so i watched all um 10 it's 10 episodes and i I just can't recommend this show enough it's so good and it's so easy to watch because the episodes are like between 25 and 35 minutes so you finish one and, and you're right into the next one and one of my favorite things about it is that esmail knows that the show is a amazon prime like binge model show so when an episode ends he understands that the next one is going to play right after Mm -hmm. so the ending of every single episode is like hyper aware of that of the fact that like either the next episode is going to play immediately after or you're going to press your controller or your phone or whatever or mouse or whatever the fuck to make that play so whenever you're looking at that final shot you're always left with something to think about every time created by or directed by whatever it says created by sam esmail comes on the screen you're always thinking like damn like the, the the flow of that of every ending just leads directing d- directly into the next episode night and,
0: and he directed every episode
1: yeah every yes. single episode and and he truly leaves a stamp on this show like i said last week there's these long takes and overhead shots and this camera that just glides and follows our characters around but yeah like like you said there is this sense of dread that is just slowly bubbling up to the surface. And I think that's the best thing about this show. Is that it's not trying to do anything like really energetic. Or fast paced or action packed or anything like that. It's all about these actors talking to each other. These people in just rooms conversing. And this feeling of something being not quite right. Yeah. And it's, it's slow. You're slowly able to unpack that but now that I've finished the show the thing that really wows me the most about it is two things one is of course the performances and they evolve in ways that you can't
0: quite predict or expect um yeah I wanted to give a shout out to uh Stephen James uh Stephen James uh, who plays the, Walter yeah, he is amazing I've never seen him before but like through two episodes in like he's he's really giving a dynamic role yeah it,
1: the, his scenes with julia roberts are some of the best scenes of the whole show and they they take on new meaning and new uh ways of of like interpreting like what their dynamic is because sometimes you're not sure if like they're flirting yeah or if it's just a pure friendship and there's just this really interesting dynamic between them that just keeps you really engaged. And like I said, these there's these layers that keep being peeled back as you start to find out more about like what homecoming really is uh, and these treatment that these uh, veterans are undergoing. And some of that ties into this future uh timeline that we see with the um the DoD character. Who is played by oh, I just had his name pulled up. Um Shea Wingham. I okay. shouted him yeah, out yeah. last week. So Shay Wingham plays um Thomas Carrasco and he's kind of this cog in the machine you know Mm -hmm. there's this beautiful shot where we see him just in a sea of cubicles yeah and he's just this one tiny little speck in this ocean of just sameness and we follow his story in this in this um season and i think Asmail takes it upon himself to show us that this guy's not the villain like if, if there is a villain, it's probably Bobby kind of Valley. Like, yeah. He's the closest thing to an antagonist that we have here, but it's, it, I think, uh, Esmail really wants us to, to see that, um, Carrasco is not the villain. He is on his own track and he, I, I really enjoyed his, uh, arc because he kind of becomes a little bit of a, of a detective, but he's not a detective. He's just like a fucking pencil pusher. Yeah so his journey is a journey to kind of elevate what's expected of him as just this you know kind of faceless bureaucratic again cog in the machine so there's there's all these elements at play here with uh and, and the show manages to touch on you know PTSD and capitalism and what it what it has to say about the military and soldiers and and veterans is I I I don't want to go on and on because I don't want to spoil anything, but my God, I am left with so many things to think about upon finishing this show and all of the ideas that that Esmail and, and his two writers, the two writers that actually created the podcast that this is based on, um Eli Horowitz and Micah Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. So they they just plopped them from the podcast and put them right into the show. So Esmail has two strong collaborators that created the source material that this is based on. And then you bring in these amazing actors and you get one of the best shows of the year.
0: Yeah, no, I wanted to shout out two uh, things about the show. One of them that talking about just kind of this like harshness of the military is what starts off. I mean, this show is, like, it nails tone, like, on a way that most shows never come close to. But, like, for example, um, there's that scene where it, se- it starts out as, like, a very lighthearted scene about one of the soldiers and uh, his troop, who is, like, his favorite movie was Titanic, and they start messing with him. Like, the guys, they're just like, oh, have you seen titanic resurrection or whatever <laughs> <laughs> or titanic resurfaces something like that and tells him there's like the secret uh the secret sequel that james cameron made for no money because the studio didn't want to make like they had this whole backstory it's a really light-hearted conversation they're like oh so did he eventually tell him the truth and they're like no he died and it's just like you no, know, do you want to touch on that and he's like uh no maybe later because it's just like it's one of those things where PTSD is something where it's not like always constantly there, but it's just like anything can kind of trigger it. And so, so many people I know, even people in my own life who were in the military or have had other traumatic events happen, you don't want to dig those things up. You'd rather just keep them buried deep down and wait for like episodes for them to flash out. But actually bring them up to the surface is like the last possible thing that you want. And this show nails that. Um, Especially
1: think, when, when it's attached to battle and war. Yeah. You know, like the the things that these men have experienced and that they've seen, they have. They don't want to go back to that. Yeah, they don't want to well, think mean, about. That.
0: Yeah, because it's just this very like fun topic and everything, and then he just thinks about his friend. It's just a shot of just like a bloody like bloody pair of glasses on the ground, and he's like, "No, I don't want to think about that." Like it's, it just comes in like flashes, and the show illustrates that beautifully. Another thing, um, you talked about before, but the way the show is shot with the flash forwards is very, very effective. The aspect ratio. It's the aspect ratio changing. And also there's always this like harsh tone like in the music
1: oh, and the everything.
2: Yeah, sh-
0: apparently
1: they very use that, loud. They use that and... in the podcasts. Oh really? Yeah, that's okay. Uh, Cause uh Chris Ryan on the watch, he interviewed um the two writers, Horowitz and Bloomberg. So I really recommend you listen okay. to that interview once you finish the show. Mm-hmm. Um because they really get into some of these like these guys don't make tv like they came from completely separate backgrounds and then ended up collaborating on this podcast and then found themselves making a tv show so it's a really interesting conversation to kind of uh talk about like how they were able to collaborate with sam esmail on this project and and really create something that feels um i don't know really different like this there's not a lot of shows like this the the closest thing i can uh think of that comes kind of close to it is maniac uh because Maniac has this sort of pharmaceutical um you know sort of therapeutic type scenario with it with jonah hill and, and emma stone being observed by this uh you know pharmacological sort of corporation. you would say this is whatever. definitely
0: better executed than Maniac.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, easily because Maniac is more about the sandbox aspect, the playground of like being able to flash to all these different genres and, and scenarios and crazy fantastical things. Homecoming is not is not gonna do that. Don't expect that. This is a show about characters. Mm whereas maniac wasn't so much it was more about like building a world and exploring the possibilities of that world this is more about like we're setting up these characters and we'll we're building up this this conspiracy almost of like what this facility and what this organization really is and um i i can't wait to like unpack all of the details of that yeah i
0: can't wait to finish i mean it's a it's a breezy show to get through like and it's Not a show that you would expect to be necessarily bingeable because there's not a lot necessarily that happens action wise. But because it's so well written and the tone is so uh, well done, it does keep me constantly willing. And also the episode length. Like, thank God it's not an hour long. Yeah, It's amazing. I've been trying to watch Daredevil season three on Netflix.
1: And I'm just like. Why I just want to just Why? watch like the
0: YouTube clips of cool fight scenes, and that's all that I care about.
1: It's like 13 hours, and even the deuce, like obviously, the deuce is miles, miles better than Daredevil, but it's still like you know, I gotta sit it's down trudge, and watch yeah. a fucking hour long episode yeah. this... and not
0: like 45 minutes, like a true hour yeah. of television. Yeah. I have a question since you finished it, and uh, I've tried not to dive in too much just because I don't want to be spoiled at all. Is this a finite story? Is there going to be a season 2? Um, I've been thinking about that because it ends on what could be
1: a finite tone. There is a little bit of a tee off to a second season and there is going to be a a second okay, season. Okay, there is. Okay. Uh, but I just I don't know exactly what that second season is going to be. I've heard rumors of Julia Roberts being under contract for just one more season, but I don't think that's confirmed. I mean. Um I don't want to spoil anything, but I have a feeling that the central storyline is somewhat wrapped up, okay, but,
2: but they could there, there could be thing, there could yeah. be
1: more if they wanted to bring back Julia Roberts for a second season. Okay. I think that this um if they do want to take it somewhere else, which they will because they're gonna make another season, it's more about exploring this world, you know okay. it. it this 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 first season it's very honed in on julia roberts and her journey and you know we're seeing these flash forwards of her like trying to recall what happened uh, at homecoming um but there's all these other things happening you know in in the background of everything so i think season two would explore that but we can we can talk about that once you actually finish okay. the show uh one last thing before we move on keep in mind the aspect ratio Because it, it, uh, how do I say this? Um, (laughs) the aspect ratio is not, uh, it's not just for show. It's not, or, Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to say too much. All right, all right, all right. It's not just. It's not just because. okay. It's not just to make it not for looks. Exactly. It's a very deliberate choice. Okay. And it pays off, in one of the best episodes of television I've seen this year. Wow. Okay. Um. So that's Homecoming on Prime amazon prime so what else do we have on here Um, oh you saw a movie
0: yeah i just wanted to briefly talk about the movie that we should have reviewed last week instead of bohemian rhapsody (laughs) um i got a chance to see overlord this week um this is a movie uh about it was of course i mean the big thing is that for a long time it was rumored to be a cloverfield movie because it's under the bad robot umbrella um all I can say is thank God that this is not a Cloverfield movie. Otherwise, I think that it would have completely fell apart, as most Cloverfield movies do. Um, this is directed by Julius Avery. The only other movie that he's made of uh, note is a uh, Son of a Gun, starring Ewan McGregor. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of that. But, I think uh, um, it sounds familiar. Um, he is an Australian filmmaker who just kind of stumbled into making films. He like always, he kind of wanted to be like a painter and do a bunch of other stuff, but... He liked the immediacy of film more, and he would just film his, like, friends doing, like, skateboard mm. videos and nice. stuff like that. Um, but he got a... J.J. J. Abrams saw Son of a Gun and really admired his filmmaking craft in that work, so then gave him the script for Overlord. This movie... Um, the best way I can describe this is it's, like, a Twilight Zone episode meets *Inglorious Bastards. Um mm-hmm. This really is almost feels like it's three separate movies. So there's a way that that can completely fall apart and it doesn't. And it really really works in the kind of three the most effective movies,
1: way. Intercut or like sub, sequential. Uh sequentially. Sequential.
0: Yeah, sequentially. Um like this movie starts out as just a straight up war movie that really it could act as like kind of a sister companion piece to Dunkirk. It involves uh Troops going in on D-Day. It's right before they stormed the beaches of Normandy. Um, there was an Air Force group that was dropped in, which is based on a true story. They were dropped in and had to uh, take down a radio tower in order for the soldiers on the ground to be able to communicate with each other. Um, so these soldiers are dropped off. And what is, like, an incredible one take that is— uh, it it's hard to compare it to anything be to this movie because mission impossible really did the best, uh, the falling halo out jump. of a yeah. scene with the halo <laughs> jump movie. But I mean, this is a really well shot thing because I, Julius Avery, he puts a lot of, uh, effort into practical effects as opposed to going full CGI. Um, he did a great, great interview on the big picture that I hope that you guys listen to after you've seen the movie. Cause they do kind of get into spoilers and stuff, but, um, It starts out as this kind of deep war movie that feels almost like Saving Private Ryan-esque. It's really, really visceral. You start out on this plane, and there's like, oh, there's the funny guy, and there's the weird guy. It's like, oh, man, these guys aren't going to make it in the movie. And then they just die immediately. This movie does not fuck around. Like, it's not just, like, around the middle. Like, almost the entirety of this group that you initially meet all die, like, within the first five minutes of this movie. Um and then they land on the ground. They try to kind of reconvene with a couple of other people. And then there's another moment that talking about just the viscerality of this movie. Uh, viscerality. I don't think that's a word, but the <laughs> visceralness of this movie. A guy's just like walking through, and he steps on a landmine and just fucking blows up. Like and you just see it. yeah, and you see it like okay. right in the beginning of the movie, and you're like, oh my god, this is like a true war movie. R, hard hard R, R movie. Yeah. Um, it then uh, kind of delves into this sci-fi kind of world. Um, They explore um, the lead actor, whose name I just had pulled up a second ago. It's the Um, dude
1: from The Leftovers. Yep, It's Michael uh, from The Leftovers.
0: Yeah, his name is um, uh, Jovan Adepo. Um, Jovan Adepo? I don't know. I'm probably butchering his name. But it really centers almost entirely around this guy's perspective. He sneaks into this uh, church, which is also acting as the radio tower and sees all of these people who are having these gruesome horrible experiments done on them by Nazi doctors. And the whole thing is that they're trying to create a serum a serum to uh, actually create the thousand year right. To create this <laughs> thousand year army Whoa. of soldier of like super soldiers. And in turn they're making like fucking Nazi zombies that are just wild. And by the third act, this movie goes into full on body horror in the best kind of way. Um, talking about, like, the practical effects of this, there's a scene where somebody dies and they inject them with the serum and you just see them, like, can I come back to life? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm good. And suddenly their body starts breaking and you see, like, a spine, like, snap and shit. It is truly gruesome. Like, Damn. it goes in. Um, overall, this movie is, it's it's a blast to watch. Like, it was really, really fun. Um if anything it does like drag a little bit during the dialogue scenes but it sounds like overall, it sounds like
1: there's no like real characters it's or it's well, more about just like the the action and the horror and the effects
0: They they do some characters are actually more well developed like um the main character uh in this film um who plays his name is uh hold on wait sorry i'm trying to find the character's name um uh, Boyce, Boyce is the main, uh, actor that you follow and he's kind of this guy who's just like a private, like he's not really there to be like this super soldier. He's not a sergeant or anything else. He's just kind of one of these guys and his kind of journey that he has is actually kind of compelling. They run into this, there's this woman who's like hiding out, who basically has to become a smuggler in order to like steal food and stuff for her family, but she lives in France and there's this Nazi curfew that's happening. And I mean, if the Nazis see you out, then they just like either kill you on site or they take you into their lab to do these kind of sick experiments on oh. you. Um, Wyatt Russell is in this movie and he is oh, from Black Mirror. Yeah, he is nice. great. No, like he is truly awesome in this role in which he's pretty much playing a um a character. We're going to talk about it later on the podcast but almost kind of gave me vibes of Daniel Kaluuya in uh, Widows where he's so like hardened by murder that it doesn't even affect him in this way like he says throughout the film like if we want to beat the Nazis then we have to become like them we have to think like them and there's a scene where they kidnap um a guy I'm, there's no way I'm going to get this guy's name right I know that you'll recognize him um, Pilo Asbach um, mm-hmm. but He's this, he plays this kind of Nazi general guy. He's in uh, Game of Thrones, most notably. Um, But he's this Nazi general who's, like, truly evil. And they're trying to, like, get information out of him. And he, like, almost beats him to death. Like, he, like, ties him up and is just totally bludgeoning him. And they're trying to be like, stop, stop. And he, like, knocks out his soldiers. He's just going in, trying to, like, actually murder, like, brutally, brutally murder this Nazi soldier for what they've done. Um yeah, over overall, like, I think that this is it's just a really fun movie. Like I wasn't necessarily I didn't really have high hopes for it going in, and it really delivered for the most part. Um of course, like, the dialogue scenes weren't the best. The scene with the they try and establish a little bit of a relationship between the uh French uh French woman and voice character that doesn't really pay off and you're like i kind of just want to get more into like weird shit but it feels like a twilight zone episode the reason why i compare it to that in that you know with classic twilight zone episodes it starts out as one thing and then it becomes something else and then it becomes something totally deeper than that and it just kind of goes down this rabbit hole every episode that's how i felt like this mm-hmm. um Where it was almost like, all right, we've seen war Nazi movies before. We've seen war Nazi movies with some sci-fi aspects. Now, let's just go to the extreme of that and just have them be like fucking crazy zombie creatures that can't be killed. With bad robot budget for the effects. No, I mean, and these monsters, they look good for the most. There's one or two that look really kind of corny, but um, the main uh, thing, which you can see on the poster and everything, kind of a silhouette of it is this all practical effect of a guy who basically got half his bl- face blown off and then got injected with a serum and kind of comes back to <laughs> oh And that's all practical and it looks amazing. Um, there's a couple of really cool wonders in here too, um, that listening to the director's interview, he kind of talked about how he is kind of against this whole like Hollywood rush of wonders that are, don't really serve any purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is in a very effective way. Like I mentioned, there's a wonder uh, jumping off the ship. There's also a wonder of him escaping out of this whole church uh, setup where shit's just like blowing up and going crazy around him. That they're all very effective and they set you up in the mindset of what's happening. Overall, the action is pretty well directed because that's a thing that can get pretty choppy. And
1: so you're you're um you're hopeful for what Avery will do next. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I'm yeah. excited to see what he does next. Um, I know that he's now one of J.J.'s boys, so I'm hoping that if he gets some more of these bad robot kind of things pitched to him, he said before, I mean, much like a lot of other filmmakers, he never wants to make the same movie twice, so I doubt that we'll see another movie akin to this level of, like, body horror, but I'm so to see what else it he looks does. like
1: he has a couple projects lined up. Um, he's making something called The Heavy, which hopefully will be another original film, because, like, I... I want to go see this movie. I want to support it because it's an original movie. Yeah, it's, it's not deeply based, original. It's not based on a brand or or a property or a comic book or anything. Um, and then he is rumored or er, in
0: talks to remake Flash Gordon. Oh yeah, that's that's the other big thing is that uh he he's supposed to be and he kind of talks about it in the interview like he's going ahead with that project is that he's gonna make a oh, Flash Gordon movie because. Okay, He's kind of talked about before, Uh, basically Son of a Gun, a lot of it is uh, based off of kind of his story and having a pretty rough upbringing, Mm. and he kind of, his thing that he wants to do is he wants to kind of be a little bit able to take these like tough aspects of his life and almost use it, uh, use these movies that he's making as like therapy in a way of getting out something that he wants to say. So he wants to use Flash Gordon as kind of, even if it's very fantastical, make it, gritty and like make it kind of dark and have some kind of dark side to it, which makes me more excited for this yeah. Flash Gordon movie that maybe, there's gonna be like some true characters in this. Maybe they'll get Rami Malik to write the music for it. Ooh yeah <laughs> um oh but I don't know if you realize that that this that uh the writers on this movie are actually great. It's Billy Ray who most notably made like Captain Phillips and uh the Hunger Games and stuff like that. And also Mark L. Smith who wrote? I believe it was Dallas Buyers Club, uh, or you wrote The Revenant, um, Vacancy. One of them, I think, was involved somehow with uh, Dallas Buyers Club and stuff like that too. But it's like big Oscar-nominated type mm-hmm. roles. But then the fact that they just decided to make a straight-up genre yeah. movie—it's—it's it's cool. It's—it—it's cool. it, it, it's not going to be like a top movie of the year or anything. But I—it—it—it it, it scratched an itch yeah. that I had been longing to and scratch again original movie yeah exactly
2: yeah, yeah.
1: it's Gotta and it's one
0: that. of the most original movies of the year yeah. by far all right so that's
1: overlord in theaters now i definitely want to try to check it out before it leaves theater so are, are people seeing it how's the box office
0: i don't think it's doing super great um that's a good question i'm sh- not sure exactly how many people are going it's problem is that it's coming out at kind of a tough time with bohemian rhapsody the and grinch now... The Grinch. The Grinch and is
1: doing pretty well. The Grinch I is think. doing
0: really good. I mean, then also, Ooh, it's, Crimes of Grindelwald is going to get a lot.
1: Dude, oh, no, it's not looking good. See, this is why fucking they don't make original movies. It's made $17 million and it had a budget of $38 million.
0: So, go out and see this movie now Damn. before it leaves theaters. Yeah. Because, it genuinely, it's not a movie. Again, it's one of those movies, I can't recommend it to everybody, just because it's will be too gross for a lot of people. Um, but... It's not necessarily scary. It's kind of creepy with some of the images and stuff like that. But I mean, I it's more effective than like every like most saw movies or stuff like that that actually use body horror in like a gimmicky kind of mm-hmm. way. This has a lot more depth to it. If anything, I kind of want it to be even more campy. But it's I don't know, that's just me Rain-esque. personally. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, let's get to our last bit here before we take a break. The Good Plays, Season 3 on NBC. So last week I kind of ragged on this show a little bit because I felt like it was just spinning its wheels uh, in this first half of Season 3. And I I do think that you made a good point that if you think back to Season 1, it kind of did that, and then parts of Season 2. I do think that so far Season 2 is stronger than what we've seen so far of season three just because season two came off of that fucking reveal of season one and it just built on top of that to give us some of the best episodes of the whole show um so season three i I don't think has that luxury um that you know it it can't it obviously can't do that again you can't pull the same trick twice but this week I think we had the best episode of the season.
0: Oh, without Would a doubt. Do you agree? Yeah yeah, 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 without a doubt.
1: So, spoilers, like we say always when we talk about The Good Place, please, you know, this is a very plot-heavy show, so please try to catch up and don't spoil yourself. Yeah. If you uh if you don't want to be spoiled. So, th-
2: okay,
0: and quickly before we talk about this episode, I think that one thing um also that they had working to its detriment this season is that they're on Earth. So, they don't they can't do the same like gags and bits of whatever right, you can just like right. oh janet can just like summon something like right. out of nowhere like that's that's not a luxury which, they have because they don't have their powers
1: which is is it's interesting that the writers chose to do that because it, it kind of put them in this box to force them to be a little bit more creative yeah and a little bit more character driven and i i appreciate that even though it didn't quite work for me uh as much as it could have i i do think that it, it, it for the most part paid off to yeah. see you know tahani hash things out with her her sister i thought that was a genuinely emotional moment and i had a lot of fun seeing eleanor interacting with uh the mom character and, and andy daly I yeah thought that was a lot of fun and, and
0: i thought that i mean last week not this most recent episode but last week's episode with the cheaty, yeah uh, with her yeah. kind of going through and this kind of like nihilistic view of the world that Eleanor has, or mostly like directed towards herself that she's incapable of love. She talks about determinism and she was just like determined to never actually fall in love and everything yeah. like that. And I think that that was whenever I started to feel the show kind of taking a turn where it's going to go back to focusing on these characters. Cause I mean, in season one, it spent the entire season developing this relationship, and then their minds were just wiped. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that relationship there anymore. So now they have to reestablish all of that stuff yeah, in but, different kinds of ways. And
1: they introduce it in a really, I think, fun and creative way, which is she is just exposed to everything mm-hmm. at once. And obviously we get that nice gag of her losing all of her hair because she yeah. just can't take it. <laughs> the the knowledge of what the good place or the bad place actually is but then she does become aware of all of these events and she has to kind of find a way to think about that and bring it up to chidi somehow so going into this most recent episode uh it we get the demons from the bad place coming in and trying to claim back these damn souls who <laughs> they believe are the property of the bad place um and Eleanor has to, like, just man up and, and tell Chidi, you know, what, what the deal is. And, and that in some past, not even past life, she there's a good line where she puts it, like, in some random uh, strand of the multiverse, they loved each other. Yeah. And she might also love him in this uh, timeline as well. Uh, but all of this is surrounded by this really really well done fight scene with janet fighting the demons yeah i really didn't i honestly
0: didn't think whenever it started i was like okay all right whatever but like it actually is like the choreography yeah it's actually like really interesting how they do
1: it and everything else And for most of those shots like that was darcy carden doing that that choreography (laughs) i don't think it was her for all of it but i was trying to pick out the stunt double and i couldn't for the most part
0: yeah, and I like, they, they found a creative way to do it where, like, if she's partly in the portal, then she has her powers or yeah. something, so then she's, like... It, I mean, some of the stuff is gonna be corny because this show doesn't have the budget of a lot of other show of a lot of, like, if this was on HBO or something right. like that. So they're not gonna have the best... Uh, action sequences or even like some of the effects of the doors well, and but stuff the like fact, that. But again,
1: that we keep
0: coming back to this the fact that this is a network comedy yeah. that is doing this. Uh, so to that point, unreal. so um, earlier today, I was just watching some like football stuff, like some pregame stuff. It was on CBS. And you want to know what shows are playing on CBS at primetime uh, It's This Is Us. No, well, there was an ad for the show called like The Neighborhood or something, where the whole g- it, they all are like Big Bang Theory esque. Oh, no. And there's this thing where she just like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk to the blacks. As the door open, it's a bunch of black people. Like ah, ha 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 ha. Oh no. And then there's another scene where there's a guy who's just like, mm, look at this fine aged. In the back of the fridge And they're like um, Honey that's a sponge oh boy. That's the kind of shit That we're getting On network television Right now yeah. And so, so that we have Something that This is this high concept And it's on NBC yeah. That is wild um, Also we have to talk About Doug
1: Dude, Doug this... in this episode,
0: played by uh, um um Michael McKean, from, from Better, Better Call Saul, fame. Yeah, yeah, so
1: good. He was he is awesome. He plays what? Okay, so this is something interesting that the writers have been doing this season that I've noticed. Um, remember the episode with uh, Jason's dad, Donkey Doug? Yeah. So Donkey Doug was just this random character that Jason kept mentioning. And they decided that that was going to be Jason's dad in this yeah. new season. They were like, well, we keep he keeps mentioning this guy, Dunkey Doug. Let's just make him his father. That, that wasn't what it was meant to be, but it just works because this is a really talented writer's room that's smart and creative. This is kind of the same thing that they did here with, with this Doug guy uh, who Michael mentioned all the way back in season one as being the the guy with the most I don't know if it was he, the guy with the most points but like the guy who has come the closest to figuring out the point well
0: system. yeah they say he like had like an acid or a peyote trip and then he like realized that it was all relied off of a point system and everything and he like yeah. visualized like, and the photo a in here. It,
1: the photo is is Mike Schur isn't it
0: yeah, I think so. Yeah, I young, think it's like young Mike Shirt. Yeah. But it's um they have him talking and he like knows everything but he's just like, There's an accountant out there who's calculating <laughs> my points to tell if I have enough points to go in there, and they're like, Oh god, how do yeah, you know so all th- of this? This
1: guy is living out in the middle of nowhere, growing all his own food, repurposing Radishes his own. Radishes and lentils,
0: because they leave the smallest carbon <laughs> <Yeah>. footprint. <laughs>
1: repurposing his own uh urine as water. <laughs> like <laughs> filtrating his own urine and like trying not to step on any ants or grasshoppers or critters or snails and being harassed by the local like middle school bully to do whatever his bidding may be and i just i found all of this to be so entertaining and so funny and also like doing what the good place does best which is like just be really insightful and thought provoking about what it means to live a good life mm-hmm. and and be a good person and this guy who thinks that he's doing everything he needs to do to get into the good place isn't really happy well i don't they kind of ask him that if he's happy and he kind of dodges the question and yes yeah. he says that it's not really important um but it doesn't seem like he's enjoying things too much he's doing things just to earn points and not to really live a happy life right
0: and i think that that's what because i mean it's kind of teed off at the end of the show as the show does best that's probably the best aspect yeah. of the show is the way that it ends every episode and now we kind of have had this whole thing about how doug isn't going to make it into the good place so now it's now set up for them that they have to go on this journey to find out like what does it actually mean to be a good person yeah. to make what it is into this good whole place. point system yeah what know? is the point system mean and everything else i want to see what they're going to do next episode because now they're all in the void yeah and I, I, I don't know how they're going to is, visualize or do any of is that. Is Jason Manzuka going to come back? Oh, man, I hope so. I hope great. that he's in the
1: void, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the episode. I thought it was the best of the season. And like like we keep saying, this show, even when we think it's kind of like, you know, coming to a slow bit or kind of, you know, meandering or spinning its wheels or whatever, it just it keeps finding ways to... to re reinvent itself in, in these small instances and in these small moments and and give us this character like fucking Michael McKean as uh, Doug and, and just take the time to say something profound and still be one of the funniest shows on T V. Do we know how
0: many more episodes are there gonna be until the break? Do um we know? which number episode was this? This was episode was it six seven six, seven so I think we yeah. might have one more. Oh, wow. I think... Okay, so we're about to hit that break.
1: Yeah, I think there might be one more until 2019. Um, yeah, or... Uh, let me see. Yeah. Uh more episode? Yeah, December 5th is episode nine. So this was eight okay. that just aired. Uh, so we have one... They're, I, I guess they're going to take a week off for Thanksgiving. They're not okay. going to air an episode on Thanksgiving. And then uh, December 6th, we get the mid-season finale. It's called Janet, parentheses, S janet's
0: oh shit yeah man this is it's gonna be it's gonna be
1: like darcy up yeah hell yeah awesome awesome uh all right so let's take a break and then when we get back we're talking widows white widows we'll be right back
2: my
0: tog is white what happened to my hundred dollars joe
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! till we whoa. bought a mic.
3: Here I am now. Oh my god. Oh god! Hey guys, you know, I
1: didn't even notice that you were gone.
3: Yeah, I just, you know, actually don't even address that I'm not there, and then I'll just be here for after yeah. the break. Or maybe you were here and I just cut you out of the entire. Just,
0: yeah, he was just crying in the corner. We were still, we were reminiscing on Stan Lee.
3: Yeah, yeah, I. And I,
0: Detective I... Pikachu, and he was like, "It's too cute." I gotta, I gotta just be
3: quiet. Oh, I didn't have time for my flaming Stan Lee take. That's a shame. What? I, I, he's, he's not s- actually dead. He's garbage. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that would be the worst.
0: DC for life. Apparently,
3: Bill Maher was talking shit about yeah, Stan Lee, and it's, like, it's like, what are you Fuck doing? You Bill Maher. Like, what? Well, yeah, why? All right, well. Widows. Widows. Let's get movie. into this. So but it's... enough about my freaking. <laughs> my dead wife. Yeah, no, no. yeah, I was about to say that, but that's not what a, <laughs> that's not what a widow is. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it's directed by steve mcqueen and i'm just gonna run through this cast it's, because it's crazy yeah okay so it stars viola davis liam neeson elizabeth Debicki, michelle rodriguez daniel kaluuya colin farrell cynthia erivo john bernthal carrie coon brian tyree henry robert duval and it just keeps going, but those are the
3: big names. Also,
1: Matt Walsh,
0: yeah, in yeah one yeah. scene he just pops up just real quick, <laughs> in a great scene. Matt Walsh comes out of nowhere.
3: He d- Matt Walsh sneaks into everything. Of UCB fans. He, he's always in a little bit of everything. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys think of this movie? Like first impressions? Um, I was th- actually I was really excited for this
1: movie. Mm-hmm. You know, just it's it's not only Steve McQueen who uh, directed the Oscar winning Twelve Years a Slave. It's but it's also Gillian Flynn mm-hmm. of Gone Girl fame.
3: Yeah, originally a book writer
1: who, right? Yeah, who now she adapted her own her own book, uh, Gone Girl. And
0: her, I mean, her thing is all about like empowering women and mm-hmm. kind of putting women in untraditional roles. So as I, hero.
1: I tried to watch Twelve Years a Slave back mm-hmm. when it came out. And I fell asleep during it and I never went That's back so to it. Up. <laughs> so, by all accounts, I'm sure it's a great movie, but I just, I've never like really we, well, revisited it. You're not
0: it. white, so you don't have to worry. You don't have to feel bad, bad right. about it. So I mean,
1: they it, they gave it the best picture, so, yeah. you know, I, I guess everyone's <laughs> racism is cured. I... Jesus
2: Christ. Um, never... this, is, this is getting off on a really <laughs> yeah. bad foot. We, mo- well, <laughs> we need to move on.
0: Have you seen any of his other movies?
1: Uh, no, I know he's a big collaborator with Fassbender. Yeah, Fassbender. He's, he's made a lot of stuff with him. But, yes. But yeah. going into this, I was just
3: excited to see this fucking cast. Yeah, I mean the cast: Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen, who's by all means a great director, and the fact that it's a heist movie. They build it as yeah. like a heist movie. So, so what do we think? What do you guys think? I thought, I, I thought this movie
1: was really great. Um, it, I can compare some of my feelings to a little bit how I felt about A Star Is Born. It's a very movie movie, right? It it, it relies on a lot of, like, uh, kind of predictable plot mechanics, a um, little bit of predictable characters, some cliches, some genre conventions. But it does them all really, really well, mm-hmm. I thought. I, I thought that even though the movie's not really trying to kind of upend the genre or do something, like, you know, really artistic or... Unique or creative or anything, yeah. It, it, in the box that it lives in, it takes full advantage of that, and I had a blast with it. I, I think it kind of drags in the middle a little bit. Um, there is a twist that happens, and I think before that twist, Agreed. it kind of does like yeah. You, f- it, it's not that long of a movie. It's like a little over two hours. It's still but it's it pretty long. feels like a lot longer no. than it is. But I went in for the for the acting, and I was fully. Um, <coughs> satisfied with all the performances that everyone gave here so i I had a great time won't make my top 10 but i still think it's a great movie that's definitely worth checking out and worth seeing cool
0: yeah i um, i thought this movie was really fun um i think that right now i have it pinned at number 10 Uh, you compared it to a star is born i think that this is a better movie than a star is born because it while it does have a lot of very movie movie aspects to it the fact that it still has the feeling of a heist movie like i feel like this is kind of what oceans eight wanted to be in every way and just wasn't at all um i have a good consp- good comparison for uh for you sports fans who are also movie cinephiles out there and i think you guys can at least follow along with what i'm saying here even if you weren't a uh, big uh yeah. boston he, he celtics already, fan he tweeted about this um <laughs> Widows is the Boston Celtics of movies this year. What I mean by that, the 2018 Boston Celtics. When there's too many studs on that team, it's too deep of a lineup of cast of characters and not enough minutes to go around for them all. I kind of felt like in this movie, there were so many great actors that I just, I wanted to get more from, and we spent more time with other characters. It kind of meanders a bit with these different plot lines, and they come together in, like, a um, empowering women sort of way, stand up against your oppressor kind of a way, but not really in the most satisfying way, I think, possible. This is
1: this is kind of two
0: separate movies. Yeah, 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 without, without a doubt. It's I mean, like a
1: heist movie and then, like, a government
3: corruption movie. Yeah. And they don't really And, well, and come... also, like, a deep character drama about losing a loved one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it yeah, I mean much like Gone Girl, it's like three different movies. Mm-hmm. But I think I think we could all agree this is not as good as Gone Girl. Oh yeah. No uh, way. For a variety of reasons uh so I I'm a, I agree with you guys that I did like this movie. I think it was like by all means all around a solid movie, but I did not love it. Um I wouldn't call it great. I it's very well directed. I'll say that. Steve McQueen, I hadn't seen any of his movies. A lot of he does some really, really creative, inventive, beautiful things. With yeah, the some camera. of the wonders that are in this yeah, movie are unbelievable, gr- gr- terrific wonders. I mean, in particular, obviously, there's one in the beginning that's about five minutes. The Kaluya one. Yeah, it's it's just an oh. the, just the writing of that scene in general is just amazing. That is that is maybe the best scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like right off the bat. Yeah. And so it's well directed. I think. Not even just there are too many characters because I think maybe they could have pulled it off, but the plot just gets a little bit insane toward the end. Like there's just too many things happening, um, and I if they had pared it down just a little bit, I think it would have been a great movie. And we're splitting hairs because it's pretty rare that you find a good movie that isn't because this is based on a property. This is from a mini series. You said Hunter, a mini series in the eighties, and yeah, a, like a, a, a British, British, yeah, British mini series. So it it kind of, that makes sense to me because it kind of felt like they could have used more time with all these storylines because these storylines were very interesting like we like you said we have this government corruption thing between colin farrell and brian tyree henry uh and then we have the heist stuff with all the widows and then we have uh, just all these widows also dealing with like this intense coping of losing all of their husbands at once so I think, honestly, it would have been very cool if they had made this into a new mini series. almost. Like, there's room for that. HBO or... HBO, or, Nef- yeah. Netflix even, because it, it almost seemed like if all these characters, particularly the Widows, got their own episode, I think that would be That'd awesome. Be yeah,
0: I mean, well, and she wasn't actually a Widow, but Cynthia Erivo is in this movie. Just for, like... She like pops up and then she doesn't even pop up again until the end. You're she like, almost
1: oh, steals yeah. the show
0: too. She was She's really so really good. good. I mean, there's a couple and this huge cast. That I really wanted to shout out. I mean, of course Viola Davis is. She's amazing. awesome. She's a powerhouse. She, as she is and everything.
3: Elizabeth Debicki really impressed me. So movie. tall. She's so tall. <laughs> I love. But- I loved her in this movie. I loved her plot line, and it was perfect casting. That was
0: what I'm talking about. Where, like, she got... I feel like if there's going to be maybe a person who gets nominated for a Best Supporting Actress out of this group, then it'll probably be her. Yeah. she
3: gets... Really? She makes the most out of the screen time that she has. I think think Viola has a chance for lead actress as well. um, Because she's the emotional core of the movie. She has the most screen time out of anyone. Definitely. Um, But, yeah, I just really... I wanted to get more in depth at certain points, and but the thing is, it is a movie, and I, I the thing is, I didn't want to be there for any longer than I was, so you know what I mean. Like it's already two hours ten minutes. That's about my max. I,
1: I think that the pacing in this movie is one of its biggest detriments because it's trying to juggle so many different plot lines and characters and even different themes. Because um, I'm gonna make another comparison here. This kind of gave me. This is this one's a little bit of a reach, but this kind of gave me three billboards vibes, three billboards, um, uh, outside Ebbing, Missouri, where that filmmaker, um, I forget his name. I almost said Michael Uh, McDonald, but Martin McDonough. (laughs) Martin (laughs) McDonough, (laughs) totally different person. Uh, He is a British man or a um, Irish man, something, uh, trying to piece apart and and examine what America is. And I think that's what Steve McQueen is doing here. I think Steve McQueen is British and he is trying to make a movie, not just about America, but about Chicago. Mm-hmm. And Chicago is a, a city that's like notorious for being very, very corrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of like an outsider looking into American society and trying to make a statement about it. Um, and some of those attempts kind of feel a little bit... Uh, Short-handed, like the the gun show scene, or the um, there is a uh, yeah. encounter with a police officer that occurs. That was so was out of nowhere. Um, that was... we'll get into it in spoilers. Yeah, I truly did not like that. But scene. I th- I think that uh, uh, Steve McQueen is trying to just juggle so many pins here that I honestly I'm really impressed that this movie's not a total mess because there's just so much happening. Uh, so many, again, just characters and storylines and themes that it all pretty much works for the most part. Uh, and the, the, the pacing is really the issue here is it's the balancing of mm-hmm. it. I don't think he really drops the ball anywhere anywhere. I just don't think it's it's as uh effortless as it could be.
0: Yeah, and I will say, like, one thing that I give this movie credit for is this is this is mass appealing. Like this is it's a really entertaining movie for the most part. Even if it does drag at certain points, like this is going to be a cable rewatchable movie. Like this is a movie that yeah. in a year or two is going to be on cable like every single day and people are just gonna rewatch this over and over again. I do think that this has a lot of rewatchability to it because there's so many great characters. Um, Before move on too far away, I just want to say Daniel Kaluuya like is just unbelievable. Is he your MVP? Yes, I think he's the MVP. No,
3: no, he's by far my MVP. He like he steals any scene he's in. Just you're drawn to watch him, even if he's not talking. Yeah, I, you're watching and him the whole time. Yeah,
1: he's he's my MVP because he's fucking terrified. Yeah, yeah. Without I was being so any scared. over the
0: top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is um, I was actually listening to um, shout out to the uh, DGA podcast that they did. They did an interview with Steve McQueen. They kind of talked about making his character as somebody who is just kind of grown up killing to the point where he's like almost hmm. bored by murder Yeah. at this point and you can tell that like in the scene with the one the he's there oh, the he's there uh he's like reading a book beforehand and then he just like goes back kills some people and then just goes back to reading his book and then later on like there's uh in the third act of the movie there's another scene with a murder of uh important character and he's just, like, chilling on the couch, like, watching football. Like, he's just so kind of yeah. sociopathic to it all that she, he's just numb to the whole idea of violence.
3: Yeah, he... I mean, he's unbelievable. Like, he's truly stunning in this movie. I would call this, his, like, his best performance I've ever seen. Better than... Um, Better than Get Out. Or uh, Black Mirror. I, In terms of just absolutely like stealing the whole movie yes um and i also obviously we got to give credit to viola and credit to steve for giving viola a starring movie vehicle like that's Mm. that's that's a big deal um and she did a great job with it she is she plays an extremely tragic character like from beginning to end um and it's it's heart-wrenching and it's very sad and it's honest i would say
1: she she really elevated her role because i think a lot of the writing in this movie um it's kind of like melodramatic Mm. and over the top sometimes to the point of being really corny a lot of the not a lot but like some of the dialogue is like kind of just a little shallow and cliche definitely and she just fucking sells it like she absolutely knocks it out of the park.
0: Like there's that line that's in the trailers and everything. It's just like we have to do this. Why? Because they don't think we'll have the balls to pull this off. Yeah. And it's like something like that, like that could really be eye rolly, but she sells it so hard that you're into it.
1: Yeah, and I I, I would kind of say the same thing about pretty much this entire cast. I just think she does it the best and the, the most consistently.
3: Yeah. Um Michelle Rodriguez does a really good job. Um I think her character is probably the least unique um, mm. out of any of the, it's leading... nice to see her outside of fast and furious yeah. <laughs> out of any yeah because uh, she's really good but out of any of the widows her character was probably the most generic um i yeah i did want to say because it's very well directed well acted the biggest disappointment for me was the script like yeah which I'll... wasn't
0: what you're expecting yeah, with it. yeah Gillian i mean so.
3: this is this is jillian's first time uh using someone else's work as you know a, a focal point and there's a lot a lot of very generic dialogue, a lot of juggling that kind of goes wrong, just in terms of... I, It's one of those movies where, like, they're so focused on this character drama, which is very compelling, and then the heist almost becomes an afterthought, and then you're like, oh, yeah, they're doing a heist, and they've never done one before, and none of them have any idea how to do a heist, and, like, it's probably going to work out just because that's how movies are, but, like, I feel like we should be seeing them fail before the heist. Yeah.
1: If If I... I, um, I'm i going to try to kind of get into these criticisms without spoiling but uh, I think that's one of the biggest knocks you can give this movie and deservedly so because it's a heist movie and this isn't the type of it's not trying to be like an oceans fun snazzy cool sleek uh, heist movie it's trying to be very serious you know mm-hmm. and uh, as melodramatic as it is but uh, I think that What this movie kind of gets wrong is it doesn't show us really why these women are doing the heist. So, like, we know exactly why Viola Davis is doing it, but it's not, it doesn't clearly show, like, why don't these women just kind of back out? I, it's it, not a hundred percent clear.
0: It kind of they they brush on it, but it's very rushed and yeah. not really well thought out as much. I think because I mean, of course, with Michelle Rodriguez's character, she's like her store is closing down because uh, John Barenthal is a shitty husband, I guess, and just that's like, spent that's all
3: Elizabeth his money. to uh, No, it's not. Oh, 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 yeah, oh he, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, no, that was am, her husband, but mixing yeah. up the husband, Michelle yeah. Rodriguez. Yeah, her store is closing down. That makes sense, but. Uh, she has kids. Yeah. Exactly. She's not she's not going to put her life on the line. Exactly. She's not I don't but, think no matter and what. And
0: Elizabeth DeBecky was I think that her uh, reasoning kind of made a little bit more sense because it's more so where she's been kind of told her entire life by men what to do and she's never really like worked like she doesn't have a driver's license or anything. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of her like standing up like I'm going to do this for myself.
1: And there is a line where she kind of explicitly states that yeah. theme for her character. Uh, which, again, I thought in in any other movie it would have felt really eye-rolly, but, but she, it worked. she was great.
3: It worked, yeah. So. so Cynthia Erivo, I hope I'm saying that right, yeah. mm-hmm. um... She, yeah, she basically the back half of the movie is, is her half of the movie and she's extremely compelling. Oh yeah. She's a really good actor. Was going to be a star. Like, yeah. What else has she done? Because she, she was, was in
0: uh, bad times at the El Royale and oh. she stole that too. Oh really? Yeah. And she
3: sings
1: in that. Cause she's,
3: yeah, she's, she's just, she had the same magnetism of just like, you're always watching her character. She's, she was unpredictable. Um, and she just, yeah, she just kind of like floats in at the end there. Um, again, her motivation is pretty weak like as to why she would do this when she has a child um but i don't know i just i really wanted to like absolutely love this movie because there's so much good going on but just a few things give me knock it way way
0: too many plot
2: contrivances i
0: want to get more into uh her character specifically in spoilers but like with carrie coon's character that was just like the most Shallow nothing of a character, yeah. That given to like this amazing actress Carrie Coon, yeah. she can't even get a chance to do anything like Jackie Weaver is in this movie and she's just there for like two scenes just to be, um, just to be uh, uh yeah. Alice's mom
1: or even uh, Brian Tyree, like, he's oh, yeah, so good and he barely gets anything
3: to do, yeah. Daniel Kaluuya steals his scenes oh, yeah. with him, yeah. That kind of makes sense because Brian's character is. Uh, conflicted morally, like, or at least he has to put a certain subtle face on instead mm-hmm. of being pure evil. Uh, I, I liked the conflict between him and Colin Farrell, who I think did a pretty good job. Uh, uh- his accent though
1: his irish accent like, where was he even from okay that's the other he thing he was trying to do a chicago accent but
3: his irish yeah. accent
1: kept coming out the
3: other reason you can tell this movie was made by a british person is because this movie should take place in boston and it's not a, it's not even a question it's <laughs> yeah a, it's about old irish white people trying to maintain power over the slums yeah. like that's that's boston um so I kind of yeah I didn't think about that point you made about how it's kind of an outsider's view but there are a couple things that seemed a little shoehorned Mm -hmm. just a couple of things that were like they just kind of wanted to stick that in there
2: yeah
3: Um, I think yeah I don't don't know I I do think it could have been like a truly incredible miniseries but you know less money in a miniseries less miniseries are made. I mean, this how many is, miniseries are produced? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. and this
0: is like a mid budget movie. Like this isn't like a high budget or anything like like this is kind of in that dead zone in which a lot of movies don't get made anymore. I think that the budget on this thing was like around 50 million or 40, so? 40, yeah. yeah, 40, 50 million, which movies are either usually like independent, like a couple million or two hundred million dollar. Wow.
1: movies? Wow. Uh, Ocean's eight almost had double the budget <laughs> yeah 70 million dollars for that's oceans funny. eight
3: um
0: and this movie is twice as good of a film as ocean's oh yeah
3: 8 yeah so yeah so power rankings here i would put kaluya number one and then number two it's either cynthia arrivo or the directing um i, I want to talk about that a little more yeah
0: i there's one specific scene in the direction which i think it might be even more impressive and more um effective of a wonder than uh the kaluuya scene the car is the car scene Oof. it's it, it it perfectly encapsulates life in a city like this i mean we even see this in orlando where you're driving it's like you are in the slums you're so, down the other side of the railroad tracks it looks horrible you turn like make two or three right turns and you're just in like this beautiful neighborhood and everything and it, just like that
1: and it's a masterful shot and it's something that i've i don't i can't think of another movie where i've seen something like this where you see your characters enter on one side of the car and you don't cut you stay on the windshield of the car you don't see these people talking but you hear them and then seamlessly they exit out the other side of the car into a completely different world it
3: almost felt like a video game yeah, (laughs) like a travel scene Yeah. yeah um and yeah, it was unbelievable. Another thing I wanted to shout out that he does probably three or four times is with his establishing shots, he reveals information right at the right moment. Like during that car ride, they're talking and, and uh, Colin Farrell's being pretty racist. And then the, the camera is, you can't even tell it's panning. It's so slow. And yeah. then you get to the driver and he's black and he has his face on of like, goddamn, yeah. Like it is unbelievable. And that is also when it pans over to the right side and you see that they're in like the richest neighborhood. Like, there are so many shots like that in this movie where it's almost it's almost inscrutable because uh, one thing that he does, again, insanely well is with his establishing shots. The first shot, if you're if you're making a really basic, boring movie, your establishing shots are going to like every time there's a new scene, it's going to be a wide shot so you can see the location that the scene is in. He does the opposite of that. Um, and it's a classic case of learning the rules and then breaking them because it'll start with a super zoom Like, for example, the character in the wheelchair, you don't know. You barely know where they are. And it's just this guy in a wheelchair giving an amazing performance, by the way. Yeah. For like you get a full minute wonder on him and then it cuts back to the person talking to him and then it cuts back to him and it's zoomed out and you see, oh, this is a guy in a wheelchair and they're in like a bowling alley bar. And then he's like, do you think I got in this chair for blah? Like then it brings up the fact that he's in the wheelchair. The information is revealed uh, visually so smartly in this movie. Um, and that happens so much in this movie. Yeah, like- I, I think um, McQueen is uh,
1: exhibiting like really just sheer talent. I, I don't I, – I listened to a little bit of that DGA podcast and I didn't know that he like used to be an artist, like, mm-hmm. like a painter or something. And there's like this sensibility to this movie that um, the shot – the way the shots are framed – he puts so much thought into it, which like you, you'd expect directors to do that. You know, like that's like most of the job of a director is to, to really think about your framing and your composition, but he takes it to another level. And the, one of the things that really stuck with me was his use of reflections and Mm -hmm. mirrors. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, I kept thinking like, why are we seeing so many shots of like people's faces reflected onto different like mirrors and reflective surfaces? And I, I think he was trying to communicate the idea of, like, trickery and deception. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can kind of unpack that in spoilers. But I think he was really trying to show um, just how the the, the lives that these people lead are full of, of lies and deception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he did a really good way of communicating yes. that with just... Just the way he would frame these shots and like shoot these mirrors. And, yeah, I mean and to that point, it's
0: almost like these people are giving their reflection of the wor- of themselves to the world, but not actually showing who oh, they yeah. are deep down. That yeah. too. Yeah.
3: it's it's it was visionary. Like this is a movie where every shot was not just it wasn't just thought of like oh how do I convey what's happening? Like last week when we we talked about um, Bohemian Rhapsody, I said that was well directed, but this is another level. It wasn't. It was it, well, I didn't I don't it's, even think I said well direct. I think it was just competently done where it didn't look like shit. Mm-hmm. This is a movie where every shot you can tell it was thought of how do I make this the best shot I possibly can that is both creative, dynamic, and tells the story in a way that Amazing. makes sense. It it pretty much checked every box of directing I could think of.
0: Yeah, I mean like, one thing that almost kind of bothers me is whenever, uh, like, for example, I feel like it's kind of become a thing now, now that we're in this, like, culture, it's like, oh my god, oners are so impressive, that it's a wonner without any kind of need for it to be that. It's, like, yes. unnecessarily uh, difficult to make, and it's not really actually effective in any kind of a way, and every time that he does... A oneer or um, certain close-ups that he has, like you're talking about with um, Kevin J. O'Connor, the uh, bowling alley mm-hmm. uh, wheelchair man. He it it all is so effective, mm-hmm. and it furthers the plot through visual storytelling. More and more that we talk about, it, I think that the direction has to be the MVP for me. As great as Kaluya is, like I think that Steve McQueen sets up these actors yeah. for greatness because and- it's like this would just be a b movie if it wasn't uh elevated so high by the direction
3: yeah Yeah. it's truly amazing and what i what i was saying to hunter when we left this movie is like even though it's not my favorite of the year like it's probably hovering right around where it is for you guys like outside of the top 10 yeah right like right up there the alternative is because like an original script is almost out of the question for steve mcqueen to take on There's just like are like two of them in hollywood right now apparently (laughs) So the alternative would be for him to take, like, Black Panther 3 or something. You know what I mean? Sounds boring. Take just some big property or, like, take a Star Wars, like, three years down the road and just work on it for the next three years. And then we see it and it's, like, fine because it's a Star Wars so, I so appreciate the fact that he chose this because I feel like his name is in on like the shortlist for these huge properties because mm-hmm. that's who they're taking. They're taking these directors who just come out of nowhere and get Oscars,
0: yeah, I'm sure he was like in kind of the same I mean he was a little bit of a higher position, but whatever you consider like Ryan Johnson, like yeah, as just somebody who was like visually dynamic with some of the films that he had made, and so yeah, you're yeah. like, all right, yeah, let's make him make yeah five star wars movies. exactly
3: so i just i so appreciate the fact that steve mcqueen took a, a property like this which is very unique um very interesting and has something to say politically instead of i don't know what his plans are for the future obviously but like i'm just i'm happy that we saw this instead of watching you know his take on a star war like yeah. i just don't <laughs> give a fuck what i don't give a fuck about that like this is what I wish Ryan Johnson was doing. I wish he was just still making, like, kind of strange, not like the biggest audience, but still, like, pretty decent. Mid budget stuff. Yeah. Um,
0: Mid budget, high concept kind yeah, of be- things. Yeah. Because
3: I like, I mean, I like this more than any Marvel movie I've seen this year, definitely. I really, really enjoyed watching this movie.
1: Oh, easily. I, I just think that the only reason why this movie doesn't. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's people that are absolutely loving it, but at least for me, the reason why it doesn't quite reach that truly best of the year is just because uh it's it's trying to just, to just do too much. Yeah. I think um in trying to adapt that series uh they didn't know how to kind of trim a lot of the fat. Exactly. And I'm I'm looking up the the original series and it, it seems like they changed quite a lot. <laughs> it's from 1983 it ran from 83 to 85 uh for 12 episodes. And you know, it's it's about women in the '80s, so it's it's a completely different time, different story. But I, I think that, uh, they just wanted to really pack this cast as as full as possible, and then you layer on all these other themes and storylines, and it just kind of becomes a little bit too bloated. Um, do you guys want to try to do a quick maths for yeah, this? We're going to do quick maths. We should... And spoilers? Let's just spoilers? move into spoilers now. Yeah. Okay.
0: What are you guys' ratings? Oh. I'd go with First an
1: eight. Film. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm feeling an eight. I, I, really, I really recommend this movie. This is a, a movie that's very easy to recommend. It is rated R, uh, but it doesn't have... It has, like, one sex scene... But it's not even, like, anything that bad. Yeah, brutal violence. Uh, the mm-hmm. violence does get a little brutal sometimes. Um, there's, But but it's really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, <laughs> that bowling alley scene when Daniel Kaluuya goes in, I was completely fucking shaken. That was almost too much. That yeah. It was, was too much. And there was someone in my theater who was laughing. And I was like, I was so confused. I was like, Are you you're just trying? sociopath? Are you are you entertained? Is this funny to you? Or are you just like coping with yourself? Like you're just you don't know what to do, so you can't
3: help but laugh. But like that scene is, it's troubling. It's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm I'm right around there. I'm right around an eight, maybe like a seven point nine nine. But it was. I really liked this movie. Um it pretty much is about what I thought it would be. I just, I thought the writing would be a little bit tighter. Uh, definitely. But this is a a all around super solid movie. It's, it's based off of a property, but it's more original than anything else I've seen in a long time. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into spoilers. Do you guys uh, just? Oh, want... let
0: me get my let me get my rating. No, no. Oh, Okay, get out of here. Well, everybody knows I'm just going to be the negative person on the podcast, so it's like a two. <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually I'm right there with you guys. I'm an eight. I think I I believe I pulled up my list. I'm I have this movie exactly at number ten. I have it ahead of The Star Is Born because I think okay. that I think that it does it finds a way to use these uh, kind of classic Hollywood cliches, even if it's a little bit jumbled and convoluted at points um the fact that it does this all while making what is essentially a genre movie i think kind of elevates it to another level i also think the direction is um much better than it is in a star is born yeah i Um, mean
1: he's a much more uh, seasoned director (laughs) than cooper or as as what's his name from film spotting said uh b coops b coops (laughs) So, if you haven't seen Widows, go see it. It's a great time. There is a big twist in it, so try not to listen to this. um, If you do want to remain spoiler-free, and then come back and listen to our thoughts. Go see
0: see this and not... Crimes of Grindelwald Fantastic
1: Beats and How to Crimes of Grindelwald them <laughs> yeah as I like to call it Day at the Solvato
3: <laughs> fucking yeah shoot me with that movie man like, alright just Kaluuya me in the leg <laughs> um, <laughs> alright so s- let's get into spoilers now um,
1: so you were warned um, yeah let's it spoilers so there's this big twist Spo- where gasp egad, William Neeson or Liam Neeson <laughs> <William>. <laughs> Well (laughs) Liam Liam Neeson was alive the whole time. Okay, so...
3: Whoa! That twist definitely jolted me, and I think it did you too. We were both like, what, what? what love yeah. it. I love it. it. Yeah, It jolted us. I think after the twist is revealed, the way it's handled is pretty sloppy. Yeah, whenever yeah. it's just
0: like him and Colin Farrell on the boat together, <laughs> yeah. and we're like, what? And it's,
3: and that, <laughs> yeah, exposition, exposition. Exactly. They were just pooping out exposition <laughs> in that scene. It was just like, yes, the $1 million, like we agreed previously, well, when you were alive, and, like, I and think you still are. One of the things <laughs> that's
0: effective of that scene is that Whenever it is revealed that he's alive, is I kind of took me a second to realize that he was still alive. Like I saw the thing there, I was like, "Oh my god, was he having an affair?" Or what exactly was going on, and then the dogs like barking, like smells, yeah. smells bad. I thought it, I thought it would be his
1: corpse,
3: his burnt up corpse.
0: I thought that that was also a possibility. I was like, I don't, I can't really she's like
3: keeping know for his. Sure. She's keeping his decomposing body in. Yeah, the dude, guest it's room. like it's like the
1: guilty remnant, like how they have those like the the meat. We puppets. just immediately
0: don't trust
3: anybody yeah. who's in the leftovers cast. Yeah. um so yeah the it was definitely interesting and it reminded me of gone girl i don't know if it's in the original series maybe jillian wrote this in just like a huge reveal midway through the movie but yeah i really don't think it was handled super great after that um for that reason and then when they when they meet up in the safe house later that was a i would say that's a bad scene. yeah it was really it was just confusing as to how we were supposed to feel for like the whole scene and then the big the big climax of it is that uh you know you think that he shot her but she shot him so cliché And it was a like, ooh what you say yeah. <laughs> It was it was really that
1: But that that moment that that scene kind of like encapsulates my feelings on the movie as a whole because it's such a by the numbers like just predictable uh sequence of events but they sell it with 110% sincerity Yeah yeah they're acting Uh, these two amazing actors are acting at the top of their fullest potential Mm -hmm. so it's like on one hand you have this really you know pretty corny campy dialogue and and and, uh i couldn't save him
3: (laughs) and
2: uh, i just saved
1: me scenario but the people performing in it
3: are just fucking yeah owning i mean mean, viola killed it that scene she's a great crier she's so good at crying Um, and I will, also uh, Neeson too in the funeral flashback. Yeah, I was like, Damn. "Oh yeah," I I want to get into the son. I want to talk yeah. about this. So, it's it's introduced that there they had a son. He was a teenager, and he died, and that drove a wedge in between their marriage, which led Neeson yeah. evidently in, to leave in two thousand eight, as we could see by the Obama posters. <laughs> yeah. So, he is. I mean, we know he's dead. Um, and there's a little bit of dialogue beforehand where like they're they're talking about the kid in bed, and she's like, "Well, if if you had to marry me, he'd still be alive." And you're like, "Oh, that's maybe he yeah. just maybe she just carries like the cancer gene or something." Yeah. Um. <laughs> so you just get this like very brutal, like sudden flashback of this son just driving around. You kn- right when that flashback started, I knew he was going to get shot by a cop. Like, and it here's the thing we're getting several movies that revolve entirely around that happening yeah. to teenage black boys because this is a hot button issue and this is something that you know art needs to talk about right now i don't think that this is the way that it should be talked about in a throwaway scene yeah yeah i don't yeah. think it should just be like thrown in as a tiny little oh yeah you got shot by a cop isn't that fucked up like it just kind of struck me as yeah, as as disposable, a very disposable way of treating something that's dead serious.
0: Well, and another thing is like I feel like it could have been there's a way that they could have done it to establish it better like maybe Colin Farrell has like a good relationship with the police force and all this kind of stuff so then she has she's like doesn't like either of these candidates. You're there's right. a way like yeah. that was kind of one of my quick math ideas is I would <laughs> add I would add a scene about Colin Farrell being very uh, devoted to the police force and everything else like that. Just to kind of make things yeah gel a little bit just more, make something. it a little bit more effective yeah, because, and not just totally out of left field. Yeah.
3: Because we do, we deal with a lot of government issues in this. There could have been just anything, even something that brings her and Colin Farrell together where he just, you know, they already know each other because he talks to her about it. And he's like, like, there's nothing else I can do, blah, blah, blah. Like, but it was just, it just happened and it was over and it was just, it was incredibly brutal. It was hard to watch. And it, it, like I had a hard time getting it out of my head for like five minutes yeah. just because it was like they really just like stuck that in there you like,
0: know it was hard to watch for me every scene of Liam Neeson just sticking his tongue down Viola Davis's throat <laughs> it's the first shot of the, <laughs> the movie first shot of the movie it's just Liam Neeson going full tongue and it's like I don't <laughs> think they told Liam to do that I think they <laughs> had a thing that was like gingerly kissing and he was just
2: like oh oh
3: yeah it's like yeah the the it's like interior bedroom Liam Neeson wakes up and kisses his wife on the cheek <laughs> <And he's just laughs> And he just like goes fucking in. <laughs> he's like,
0: "I'm an improv actor, okay. <laughs> this is what I do." He was, yeah. One scene though that I will say that was really effective because we have much of those bed shots is um, whenever you can tell Viola is saying they're thinking about her son, and he's like kind of trying to like grab her breast and like talk to her and everything. And she's just like, "Well, fucking me isn't gonna make it any better." And it's like,
3: yeah, damn, yeah. Jesus, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great scene. There was, yeah, the struggles between them was great. Um even with the crux of it being something that i didn't really agree with uh i will say um there is
1: a theme throughout this movie that i really liked um which is the idea of women being owned and them uh, and they uh kind of taking that ownership into themselves so so like i said earlier some of that does come across a little heavy-handed with the elizabeth Debecki character but i think all of these women um they are doing this more to just feel like empowered that they can do something as nuts as this uh i think it could have been you know kind of refined a little bit better could have been streamlined and, and and communicated a little bit cleaner but I do like the idea of like this overall theme of like the 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 ownership of women and the treatment of women, especially with the Elizabeth Becky
3: subplot with like her uh escort sort of life. Yeah, that was something I wanted to shout out is this movie's use of non stock characters because she joins an you know, an escort website and this man that she is seeing They could have very easily just written him as an absolutely evil, horrible man. And they really didn't. He's in between. Like, he's he's a dick. But he's also not a bad, like an inherently yeah, bad person. But he, he seems... treats he treats her like
1: property, though. Yeah, that's
3: the thing. And he always, like, but the thing is they could have just had him, like, hitting her just like everyone else does in right. the movie. Literally every character hits her in
1: the movie. Except for him.
3: Um. But, and they, yeah, they made him into a guy who at first you're like, okay, maybe this is actually a good guy. And then it turns out he's, like, not. There is the moment, though, where he, like, asks her to
1: come to China or Japan or yeah, whatever it is. and. Him. And she kind of grabs, or
3: he kind of grabs her by the neck, kind of like saying, like exactly you
1: know, if you don't do this like you don't want to know what happens yeah and
3: then afterward he's like you know i'm sorry maybe next time or something yeah. and i i just really appreciated the use of that character because if he was just some like fucking asshole slimebag from the beginning it'd be like well that's not going to work out but they kind of ease him in at first you're like this guy's a creep and then you're like well he's being nicer than anyone else in her life because <laughs> everyone else right. in her life is horrible
1: fucking mom like
3: it just it really easily could have been like a dumb character and that was actually a well-written character. All the all around these characters are not only Kaluya is truly evil. Even Henry has a moral conflict. Uh Colin Farrell has some really intense uh internal conflict going on in this movie, which I found fascinating because they could have just made him like a, you know, a slime bag Republican who doesn't give a shit about anything. Yeah, he actually has some sort of morals. And I thought the scene with Robert Duvall where they kind of hashed it out, I thought
1: that I, I wouldn't say that's my favorite scene in the movie, but that's definitely one of my standouts, because oh, yeah. I, I
3: think Duvall is just, yeah oh, yeah. he is so good. We well, have to good. treasure
0: every moment that we're going to get with him, because he looks like shit in this movie. <laughs> we didn't he even, looks really good. Yeah, bad. we didn't
3: even bring it up, but he, he killed it. He's so good. He, he really was awesome. killed it.
0: Man, only in like two, three scenes yeah. this entire movie. Which
1: that's another thing that it's to your point about there not being enough time is like we have these heavy hitters and they just get like one brief moment to shine yeah you know we get John Bernthal for one line
2: yeah
0: and and for him punching and <laughs> punching his wife <laughs> and then going on a heist <laughs> yeah Carrie
1: Coon for like two scenes and yeah I, I just think that Robert Duval was the one
3: guy who kind of made the most of, of, of the, the limited screen time that we did get mm-hmm. so let's get into Quick Match Maths. um sign soundbite you know incoming uh, do do,
0: do, 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 um, plus two do, 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 equals film
3: um <laughs> so i have a, a bit of a bold quick maths it's not it's it's not like simple maths it's basically i'm what i'm doing is i'm subtracting 30 and i'm adding like 10 plus 10 plus 10 okay. to replace it all right okay i'm i really like her but i i would take out michelle rodriguez from this movie be- uh, everything and, about that whole subplot her, with the kids and the store yes and her, the, yeah. her character doesn't get what it deserves in this movie and the only other way to give it what it deserves is to give her more screen time which i can't do because there are so many other things going on yeah. so you could take her out and make this less of an ensemble piece and more because i thought viola davis and elizabeth debicki had this fascinating dynamic between them i every scene with those two i absolutely loved Because it was, they had, they were kind of foils to each other. Like, you know, the weakness and the strength and Viola is hiding her weakness and she has strength outward and Elizabeth has the inner strength and she's hiding that. Like it was, it was, it was very interesting. And then you have Michelle Rodriguez who is just kind of in between. She, her character is kind of, she's strong, but she's not sure about it. Yeah, like, there's
0: the whole thing about like her mother-in-law is taking the kids away now because they don't think that she's like fit and everything else. It's a lot of stuff that you're like,
3: you kind of care about I it. Yes, yeah, like I give enough. I just I think you could have taken that out made, and given Elizabeth and Viola a couple more scenes together where you really explore what's going on there because them together was just like it was electric for me. uh And then you could also throw in another scene. uh even with Brian Tyree and uh, Colin Farrell kind of going at it a little more because they're only together for one scene Mm -hmm. in the whole movie. That's a great scene. And they're, yeah. And they're, and they're adversaries and you only see them together once. I think one more scene with them together, take out Rodriguez more with Debicki. I love Rodriguez, but more with Debicki's character and violas because their characters are a lot more interesting. Or to your point, give more
0: stuff to Cynthia Erivo. I know that she's not, she's not a widow, but like she's amazing she's so good i wanted her to get more screen time but she has the one scene early on in the film where she's kind of just like you don't really know what her ties are to anything it's like oh she's working in this uh in this beauty salon kind of a place and then she just goes away for like 45 minutes and they're like we need a driver yeah it,
1: <laughs> i would actually take out michelle rodriguez and cynthia rivo i hate to do that because <laughs> cynthia Rivo's is an amazing actress but my big thing with this movie is they needed to find a way to mix the political storyline with the heist storyline. Mm-hmm. They're two separate and they don't really, it, you're jumping between these two storylines and there's not enough like, you're right to, to mesh them together. So if you take out these like extraneous subplots of the other widows, I know the movie is called widows, but bear with me here. It, they're trying to combine these completely different storylines mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't completely work. So by making the movie more just about Viola Davis and her uh trying to find just a uh one person to help her I, I this kind of falling apart for me a little bit because she does need it is explicit that she needs like several people to help her with this heist but my problem is that i we just don't get enough time to like develop these characters so we don't really get enough of a motivation from all these people to participate in said heist
3: here's i mean here's an idea uh i don't have the fucking name pulled up of course the guy who played uh viola davis's driver Um, Ooh yeah! Keep him. Don't kill him. I was really great. I I was genuinely hoping he would stick around and be integral because he is. He was on the show Raising Hope, and he just played like this comedic dad. He's great in everything. Like he was a great dramatic character in this. Um, and they they killed him, and I was really the whole time I was thinking, oh, he's gonna he's gonna be a great help. His name is Garrett Dillahunt. Yeah, and he you know he's He's one of those guys who looks wise is kind of an in betweener in terms of he he can't lead uh and he he, he's not he doesn't have like a steve buscemi thing where he's like a great side piece Mm -hmm. as well but he i i think michelle no michelle rodriguez a little more him i would still stick with cynthia because i thought she was uh amazing and then more of everything else and i think this would be a lot better
0: yeah um i kind of i like where you guys are going with the stuff to take out of the movie um I would probably rather take out Michelle Rodriguez over Cynthia Rivo because I think that she is just kind of a scene stealer while she is there. Um, but I would also give more time to Carrie Coon's character. Like, really...
2: Flesh make out her, the affair? Make her,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Make her more interesting. Make this whole affair idea interesting. Maybe give her a tie to Colin Farrell's character. Maybe that's like a sister or something like that. Like, have something to, once again, to tie these storylines a little bit more together. Because it's one of those things where it's just like... You know, they're having the affair, and then Liam Neeson and Colin Farrell are just on the boat together, and you're like, ah, I mean, I guess they're buds. Yeah. Because of that one line that you threw in earlier (laughs) at his funeral about how you were business partners or something. Like, give a little bit more to that relationship to make the twist actually work better and not just make it exposition dumping on a boat well, but since it's on a boat it doesn't count yeah
3: i mean that's the fatal flaw of the movie is there is so much they could have used more time but the movie itself could not have been longer.
0: yeah the, it already suffered from pacing issues so it can't be yeah. longer okay. than it is now
3: i just thought of something big with
1: this whole affair subplot let's take a, a, a little moment to think about what liam neeson's plan here was so a he has a deal with colin farrell to do what to to, he's, to steal he's stealing, from he's stealing his from Brian Tyree Henry
0: yeah to stealing from Brian Tyree Henry so that he can't fund his campaign
1: okay so <laughs> so he has this deal with Colonel to steal from Brian Terry Henry okay so then he wants to use his cut of the money to run away with his mistress
0: not just his cut he uses everybody's cut cuz he takes the he, whole basket he of, murders of money. his entire crew his
1: crew he turns on his crew murders all of them fakes his own death to run away with carrie coon okay so <laughs> he leaves behind a notebook for viola davis to find with Did his... he not with everything every little bit every detail that's he's ever done of every heist and and everything that he's worked on in this book he doesn't think for one second that The driver that he had that he instructed to give Viola Davis access to this book would give her access to the book if he
0: fakes his own death. The whole thing was that he was going to sell the book, that he wanted her to sell the book back to him. I'm pretty sure that it's – I'm kind of just like connecting (laughs) very loose dots here. But what I got from it is that basically Liam Neeson was – uh, backstabbing everyone, including Colin Farrell. Including his own. His whole thing was that he wanted to steal all the money from him. He gave part of his cut of the money to Colin Farrell for like giving him the information or whatever about stealing money from Brian Terry Henry. And then was going to give that notebook to his wife to sell to Brian Terry Henry so him and his crew could break into Colin Farrell's house and then steal their money back.
1: So he his plan relied on Viola Davis going through with the final heist. No, like,
0: it was involved part her, of it involved plan? her not doing yeah, this. She- it. It involves her because there was the whole thing that was just like, oh yeah, just sell your book to or give your book away to pay off your debt okay. or something. The,
2: right.
3: Yeah, it's just it is a, it falls apart. It's yeah, um, you
0: uh, we're trying to connect <laughs> dots that are not even remotely close together. Yeah, that's
3: that's why I'm just thinking like I really thought the writing would be better. It it re- like there are some moments of true like peak screenwriting of great character movement and then there are moments of logistical failure and moments of uh give a shit failure and it's confusing yeah honestly it, i'm I'm just a little bit confused because again we're we're kind of splitting hairs because like i just wanted this movie to be a nine honestly oh, okay yeah. so
0: um i thought of another good quick mass are you ready yeah. for this one all right subtract viola davis's little dog add in bradley Bra- cooper's big oh. dog yeah and she's carrying it. And she's it. just carrying her <laughs> on this like giant bear. Uh, someone, in
1: someone in my theater like screamed when Brian Tyree grabbed that dog.
0: Oh, dude, I got scared. I was Jen, like, no! I was like, I will watch. I will watch a cripple person be stabbed. I swear to God, if you kill a dog on screen, this movie yeah. is
3: unforgivable. Shout out to wheelchair guy, uh, killer performance. Yeah, no, yeah,
0: he was great. Uh, Kevin J O'Connor, um, he's has a, he was in like Van Helsing in the original Mummy movie. Nice. Brendan Fraser. but I mean, not he, really done much. He ugly
3: yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean so many great performances so many interesting things happening and i think you have a great point ernest that the the two main plot lines are not tied together well enough and that's another thing we could add because another thing that we could tie together is what if what if viola and colin farrell are talking and he's like hey listen like because, like, logistically speaking, the government should be immediately seizing everything Viola owns. Like, right. she shouldn't even mm-hmm. be in that apartment because they know that all these He's guys a are – criminal. F- yeah. They know that these guys are fucking bank well, robbers. Well, she has a, a line where she says that I don't own anything, which kind of ties into that theme about, like, yeah, yeah. women being property. Exactly. So how about how about her and Colin Farrell having a, sort of a relationship of him being like, listen, I was – you know, I, I worked with your dad – or with your uh, husband. I really liked him, so I'm going to have your back on this. Or something like that like yeah. just something to get them together cuz they only get together in the third act mm-hmm. and it's one scene and it's strange to me um so as before we we wrap up I, I had a couple questions about kind of like the end
1: of the movie so they do the heist which by the way i thought the heist was great i was expecting another one in there but i thought they did a good job of like shooting in that house uh it felt very like yeah. frenetic and energetic and we get robert duval fucking getting shot by michelle rodriguez that i wanted more of like consequences of that.
0: i wanted a scene of her breaking down that's
1: that's where i'm i'm, I'm leading here okay. is we get this this pretty great heist uh that goes wrong but they end up getting away with the money and we get this really clunky scene of liam neeson coming back to kind of try to steal the money and then viola davis kills him. but then eventually you know uh after elizabeth de gets taken to the hospital, uh, the movie sort of like ends and we're left to assume that like everyone just got their money and everything's fine, but it's like, all right, this lady killed a guy and now she has like stolen cash that she's just gonna get her store back well, well, that yeah, is they with don't, no they, problem. There's no
0: like flipping that money or anything (laughs) like that like Oceans 8 has better like an idea of all that they're like all right, well we have a fence who we can like yeah that was that was actually something
3: I wrote down I forgot about they don't they don't know how to launder money exactly they have no idea and then Elizabeth DeBecky is like bleeding out in a hospital (laughs) and then she's just oh she's fine she's fine we're at the cafe together all better no one has to they just drop her off they're like it was a (laughs) drive-by and the (laughs) hospital's like yeah absolutely it was (laughs) totally Chicago man Chicago man
0: they always shoot those tall white girls
3: oh um, so yeah, that was a bit silly. The fact that this 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 guy that she's seeing can identify any building in Chicago <laughs> yeah. was kinda, yeah. that was kind of funny. Like
0: oh yeah, this is at uh 53rd and 17th. Of yeah. course yeah.
3: Oh that's a safe room. <laughs> <laughs> like is, you can tell just from the blueprint. Whoa. We should fuck. Um, sh- oh shouts to Elizabeth Debicki's gross mom. Yeah yeah
0: <laughs> Jackie Weaver.
3: That was no she was really gross. Yeah she's basically like she basically tells
1: her like you need to sell yourself you need to become a whore yeah she pulls up the website the
3: escort site yeah um tender for adults oh yeah yeah, and by i don't like a lot of people might not be familiar with that scene but i i work at a place that sees a lot of guys that come in with escorts oh my god and it's i mean it truly is like like i don't think people realize how common those websites are like that is all of, it's not just a random thing for a mom to suggest like so many people do that we have like the grossest like 60 year old guy will come in with a new 20 year old every single week oh jeez. yeah and they're and they're it's always a, like a first date type deal and the girl is always on her phone not interested <laughs> Um, just waiting to get paid yeah it's it's true th- i mean honestly that's almost why i thought that this guy could have been worse cast because yeah. i see those guys and, and they're not yeah. none of them look like that guy <laughs> like they're all gross the um, best
0: case scenario for elizabeth de is getting like a five foot five weirdo <laughs> yeah, yeah just a
3: little creepy guy <laughs> he was a little creepy um but yeah i i think i think we're we're splitting hairs a, like almost a bit much just because we all enjoyed the movie no, yeah i
0: mean i still think that this is very entertaining i think that this is gonna be like a very very rewatchable movie like i said like this kind of it has all the vibes of it being like a huge cable movie and yeah. having like a big cable resurgence in a couple years
3: yeah it just is i mean if cable is even a thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean there's years.
0: always there's always gonna be like people 35 to 65 that just like sit at home yeah. and see what channels what's on usa yeah. In like three in or the even afternoon. hbo and like yeah. they'll play
1: it on hbo but i i think you know this isn't like the greatest movie of the year or, or of all time or even of any of these actors i think maybe you know Kaluya puts in one of his better performances but uh it's one of those rare moments to see all of these actors come together in the in the same movie and, and just have fun. I, I think they probably had a great time making this movie. Wheelchair and guy had
3: a blast <laughs> yeah. getting stabbed Fuck-a-lou-ya. on the greasy alley floor. Yeah. Um,
0: it was oh, it was good it was good good movie. This is again totally nitpicking here. As somebody who works at a local bowling alley, <laughs> here you can't just walk out onto the goddamn lanes. You know what happens when people do that? They fall and they break uh, their ankles. We because there's oil. There's still oil on well, the lanes. Yeah. Did you people notice? Did you notice
3: there. those lanes were not oiled in in that movie? Like during that scene, the lanes weren't oiled. I was like. I I walked out. I yeah. got I got really that's why I walked. Out. I didn't actually have to take a shit. Well, I just walked I, I was out of
0: like you. Oh, boo.
1: It's the 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 bowling alley's run by a wheelchair guy. What so, <laughs> so people
3: are just throwing balls around wheel- No, if you don't oil that shit, I'm not going here. your alley. Yeah, buddy. what kind
0: of leagues are they going to host listen, if there's no oil on the lanes?
3: Listen, mister <laughs> Um Disabled but no, leagues? I I think I'm s i am I think I'm upset because like if we're breaking it down into categories like directing, top five I've seen this year. Oh yeah. Easily. Mm-hmm. Acting, top five I've seen this year. Uh writing is like like maybe outside the top fifteen yeah. that I've seen this year. And that shocks me. Yeah like just dead honest that just Dude, shocks me what
0: a uh, what kind of oscar love do you think this movie will get? i think mcqueen deserves to be nominated i just don't think he will i don't know if he will yeah. but, i think that but viola I think will he get
3: should. one because viola is one of those actresses where it's like oh it's her time think, and the performance is great
0: i think de gonna get a nomination for supporting actress so like supporting actress isn't a very deep field this year i mean it's kind of top heavy whenever you think about the lady gaga's the claire foy's but I I really think De gonna have a place because she does get I mean Vi- Viola of course gets the majority of the screen time but she's like a strong number two yeah. like she gets more screen time than um than Colin Farrell or
3: is Gaga um, gonna get lead though is the question because I think that it'll th-
0: they could probably pitch her as either she, the way the
3: thing is yeah she has enough momentum that I think the studio might make that gamble because everyone's talking about it still
0: yeah I would
1: put her for lead I mean um, what's what's her biggest competition. Tony Collette, probably
3: Meryl Streep, <laughs> well, yeah, in, in some bad movie. <laughs> uh, Mamma Mia, Foster Jenkins too, dude. Mamma Mia too. She was a ghost. Mamma Mia's is gonna clean up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think uh, yeah, I think we're all wrapped up here. Um, go ahead and email us at webottomikeatgmail and subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review to let us know what you thought of um, what we talked about today, including widows. So, what do you guys want to plug?
0: Um, you can check me out on uh, Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt I am now up to, I believe it's forty-seven movies this year that I've ranked uh, on your list. Rank, yeah, I've ranked every uh, single movie that I've seen this year.
1: Yeah, um, I'm at forty-two.
0: I need to watch some more bad movies to balance out my list. <laughs> D- to be honest, because like the Predator is the worst movie that Fantastic I, Beasts. I have like like my bottom three is Bohemian. Um, Wrinkle in Time and The Predator, so I need to watch, like, Slender Man and shit like that to, like, actually balance out my list a little bit more. Um, you can see my full review that I had for Overlord, which I talked about on the podcast today, and other things. Drew? <sighs> <sighs>
3: oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> this is his first you good? time. You good there? <laughs> we always have
0: to do a Drew impersonation to tell him. Uh, I'm
3: on uh, Twitter, at Drew, D-I-E-T-Z-E-N, like a cola. Um, I'm on Letterboxd, Drew D, and I'm on Spotify as my name, and uh, I have some really good, good playlists. Yeah. got some good playlists. Um, oh all right. Well, I'm getting I, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm getting a little hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm at
1: Caldernest on social media, including Letterboxd So check me out on there. I might do a little review of They Came Together because I rewatched that this week for like <sighs> the
3: fifteenth time. <laughs> uh if you know one thing from this podcast it's that we we steady be standing we they came together to the point that it's it's annoying yeah
0: really this is just a they came together podcast
3: yeah i i showed it to
1: lee for the first time and it was a transcendent moment for our relationship (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a big deal it was amazing also i showed her beto for the first time and now um, just O'Rourke and yeah, like just that hot hunk of a yeah. Man. Now and she she uh, that's your mistake, dude. Yeah, things are starting to take a turn. because yeah. now she she needs to yeah. hear that voice and see that face to feel anything. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, six
0: foot eight of him inside of you.
1: Thanks for thanks for listening to we bought a mic. I think next week we uh thanks next week is Thanksgiving, so we might be a a day later too. But I think we're gonna do what Creed, Creed two Creed two Creed two Hell yeah.